We gonna go right into it. Alright. Let's see. All right, what it do? What it do? Pseudo Killers is on deck. Um, we doing a Friday night show. Um, very powerful show. We're gonna call this Friday night research history. All right. Um, we have uh the brother Chuck Morgan is gonna present his research on uh the um ancient Sumerian uh civilization. Um, I guess a brief history. And um, an overview of their language. Um, but without further ado, um, Unc, you can come in and introduce the show. Well, ain't nobody in here yet, yo, so let's wait. You, you speed 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, slow that train get, down. Get right into it, you know what I mean? Yeah, slow that train down. Let some people get up in here, man. Man, got, man, got, got Chuck Morgan through, man. It's gonna be a good show tonight, man. Real educational, um, based off of accuracy, uh, and, and, and the presentation and the conversation is definitely go against, gonna go against the pseudo claims that's been rolling around our community for years. Uh, yeah. So yeah, man. Let me just you know light it in there, man. Before I even get it started, man. Some people in the chat, man. See who in there. Let them pile up in there, man. All right, call some people out. The Late Show, 42, was good. Omar Reed, I see you, man. What it do? Flavor, what's up with you? Mongo Slade. Yeah, you know what it is, man. Yeah, get it going, man. Bennett, what's up with you? Yeah, you know we're going to get the rolling until we get enough people here to really get it rolling. Going, man, it's gonna be a real good show, man. Um, I see you, Malcolm, man. Pseudo killer official, man. How you doing, bro? Good to see you, man. Good to see you in the flow, man. You know what it is. Psychological shack shackle breakers. What's up, man? What's good? All right, we got the 20, man. Let's let the thing climb, man, before we even get into it. Right, you had to redo that opening there, Chef and L. Wanna get enough in here, man? We're gonna get it going, man. Get it going, get it going, man. What you been doing, Cedric? How your show been coming along? You on me? Can't hear you on me. My fault, you on me. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. How you show me going, sir? It's been going wonderful. Yeah, you know, I produced a local morning show and I uh, shout out the pseudo killers and the family every morning. Yeah. And I just bring uh, the family some uh, some news and I try to give them always education, bring them something new, some perspective that they haven't thought about before. And of course, I try to sneak, sneak bits of scientifically literate stuff in there, get my community thinking about atheism in a in a in another light, getting spookism out the door. It's running rampant. 
up in these streets. And again, what I've seen and noticed is in the conscious community, a lot of us put the Bible down, but we pick up something else. We do not fundamentally change the way we think. And that has always been a problem. And the pseudo killers has now officially uh, uh, shifted the paradigm. There's no more escape. You cannot bring any pseudo nonsense into the community. It will be sniped out. It will be identified and it will be exposed. Everybody be aware. That's just, just what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's where we at, man. We gonna go ahead. Yeah, that's where we that's where we at. We right. Um, you know, I like to say, man, we right where we supposed to be at. That's a fact. Yeah, we right where we supposed yeah. to be at. It's twenty twenty two. It's time we let go of 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 regressive thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and we confuse how we supposed to use history. History is only a tool to let me know where I am in time and space as it relates to my immediate reality. It doesn't require me on any grounds whatsoever to try and relive the past so that we got people all dressed in white in the middle of Harlem as if they never saw the sun come up, humming, 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 humming. We got people in my community still going to, to a church and practicing cannibalism and have every means and ways of defending that nonsense to me. It is time we stop living in the past. We space age Africans. We are looking to understand our reality by traveling to space. And these people want us to go back into the uh, bushes and, and be scared of the wind and has to make fire and pray to 7,000 gods because we don't have any water to drink. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> no, you can't, can't do it. Nobody can't do it, man. I know, I, yeah, I know for me, man, it's been an interesting journey, man. I think the show kind of, um, uh, kind of bring things into perspective, man. Um, and we just want to, you know, make people feel comfortable and 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 not believing because this is really the, the crux of pseudoisms is is the believing brain, right? You you and, and and I'm glad Chuck is coming through, right? Chuck been through a similar uh, experience, and although that's not what this show is about, it's still about actually transforming your brain the way you think, okay, in a manner that would allow you to start to see things in terms of uh, uh, some, some semblance of scientific literacy that help you through the educational process about who we really are. So, so as we, you know, as we look right back in the past and, and, and we look at the teachers that was teaching a certain information, the, the more scientific literacy we got, the more we start to realize the mistakes they was making Right. And the more we realize who was actually giving us pseudo claims, right, who is actually giving us a false sense of security about Africa. OK. And, and who was just wrong on some things, but was still uh, uh, fighting to tackle the issue, you know, uh, with the natural sciences. We can clearly see that now. And and 
And, and so we'll lose friends along the way. Now, I don't understand that because, you know, what you believe or what you eat don't make me shit. So, you know, I, I have Christians in my family, Muslims, pseudos in my family, and we still sit down and eat. But it seems we got people promoting narratives, right, that will uh, uh, push uh, certain individuals in different directions. And I don't understand that. So, so I actually don't have a problem with anybody. Uh, we hear the false narrative, but I'm not even going to get that. I'm not going to get anybody hyped up today on that. But no. I'm gonna definitely, you know, I'm gonna definitely address that head on. Go ahead, what would you ready to say? Put your hand fall off. Scientific <laughs> scientific literacy contributes to being less emotional about information. Why? We can change our minds. We, we, we realize that the information and the knowledge doesn't make me who I am. I am not tied to the information and exercise engaging in the scientific process allows me to change my mind. So I do not identify with the information. It isn't part of who I am. But when you believe things, it is part and parcel of who you are. Your identity is made up partly of what you believe. So when we challenge belief systems, people feel personally attacked and you get these emotional response and these videos that are full of straw man, red herrings, and, 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 and appeal to emotions. That's what you're going to get. It is a key indication that we're not dealing with knowledge, but we're dealing with belief. It is tied directly to these individuals' identity. That's the difference between being scientifically literate and having a belief. Like we went to school with the Dogon tribe. <laughs> Don't say nothing about... Come on, man. Like, everybody got knocked it off, man. Let's knock it off, man. So where you at, Chef and L? I got to keep Chef engaged, man. Chef will disappear. Chef. He's out of there, man. All right, man. So let's, man, let's go and get this thing cracking, man. Um, Let's get it going, man. Y'all know what it is, man. It's pseudo killers on deck, man. We're here, man. And, and we're getting it in. Brendan, what's up with you, man? Pseudo kill official, man. What it do? What it do? What it do? What's good with you, man? Oh man, well, welcome, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, happy Juneteenth to the family, right? Happy Juneteenth, right? This is, uh, you know, this is actually the second year um, our business uh, celebrated Juneteenth. This is actually an official holiday over on our side. So, so we're actually having uh, this is gonna be a long weekend for me. So, hope hopefully everybody's sort of enjoying that. Um, you know, gearing up for for the weekend, you know, having some relaxation, and I, I'm looking forward to the show. Again, it's, it's been a busy week for me. My my voice is on the fritz here. I'm drinking some tea, but um, I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to listening in on the, uh, the brother Chuck Morgan's uh, information. Definitely. All right, man, you drinking some tea? I hope you're drinking tea by Tiffany. Shout out to Miss Tiffany. Man, go to her website, man. Hey, put that website in there, moderators. T by Tiffany. Make sure y'all do that. Concrete Corey, where you at? Cosmic Corey, where you at, man? Peace, peace. Can y'all hear me? Yes, Sound sir. Great, man. What it do? What it do? What it do? I'm looking forward to a good show, man. Uh, 
Brother Chuck always uh, provides some good information, so it's always a treat to uh, to listen to uh, what he got to say. It's also a treat to have him on the pseudo kills. I think this is uh, his first time on the show. He's been on the Real Bad Atheist, obviously, a number of times, but I believe this is the first time he's been on the pseudo killers. So I, I like to welcome the brother on the show. And uh, uh, like I say, I'm looking forward to a good show. Uh, uh, it's been a decent week for me, man. Uh, I, me and my wife celebrated our 15th anniversary. So shout out to my wife. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, shout out to the years. wife. Well, Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. That's some work. How many years is it again? 15 years married. I think we've been together for, I don't know, probably 20 years or something like that. <laughs> but shout out to her for dealing with me, man, for all of these years. You got to be tough. Yeah, pretty tough to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine being up front and center on the Cosmic Rants <laughs> live. I can imagine that. Shout out to your wife, man. And just shout out the Black Love period and, and just being an example of being together and working through all the issues, the ups and the downs, because that's what that is. Uh, absolutely. And that shows uh, that that work y'all have put in over the years, man, to develop that family. That's important. And, that, and, and, and that's real. Where you at, Chef Fennell? Where you at? Chef Fennell, what it do? What it do? What it do? Man, you tapped out, man. All right. So y'all know what it is, man. A well-organized lie defeats a disorganized truth every time. Woohoo, we man, y'all already know what it is, man. It's the pseudo killers on deck. And we here to do we got to do, and we're gonna do we got to do. We standing tall, we standing strong, pseudo killers on deck. Yeah, man. Look, man, we got a powerful guest tonight. Man, a friend of mine. Uh, we have been through similar experiences, all right? And I actually met him through his work. He was on a, uh, a show, radio show, uh, uh, called Scripts is Unlimited, the Mo' Better show. Powerful show. And, and the show was basically about bringing your scriptures to the table. And, and, and every week I would listen to it, Brother Chuck would come in, he would use... All types of scriptures. So right there, I was like, well, that's interesting, right? Whether it had been the Etahasis, the Enemai Elish, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the Bible, the Quran, right? He brought all scriptures. I don't even think that that show itself was even made for that. When they were saying scriptures unlimited, they was talking about the biblical scriptures, right? Chuck was saying scriptures. Scriptures is simply people's sacred and divine writing, and everybody has that. So that frame of mind being pushed into that situation was very interesting for me. And I learned a lot about the biblical text and, and, and different scriptures that Chuck would bring every week. And, and he ended up banging it out so much that they just kept him on that. And it was a, it was a serious show. Um, I like to get some of them tapes, right? Um, I got some, but, you know, they don't even make tapes no more, right? I like to get that on CD, CDs. What is it, D? DVD, not, not even a DVD, the, CD, the CDs, right? So the point I'm making here is that this brother been, 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 been putting it together for a while. And he clearly understands what a cult is. 
he clearly understands uh, what it takes to make sure you don't be in that situation because he was there. So, uh, Brother Chuck, man, I appreciate you coming through on the platform, man. Um, just here to get this in. Our conversation is going to be about Suma and the running theme of the community that the Sumerians was black. We're going to address that. We're also going to uh, address not only the blackness of Suma, the Africanness of Suma, and the Africanness of his language, if it is, if it isn't. And, and it's going to be a healthy conversation to break some of those old stereotypes that, that we kind of have carried forward. We've carried forward a lot of stereotypes and misinformation. We carried forward with Dogon thing. Uh, we, 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 we've carried on uh, the ancient Egyptian uh, nonsense. We carried on um, the overall overemphasizing and underemphasizing uh, history. And, and this got to stop. For us to truly move forward in what we think we want to do, Man, we just need the truth, man. We don't need your Africa or that Africa or her Africa or the cult leader Africa. We, we, you know, we need the history that that Africa uh, has given us. Uh, these beautiful people that show up first on planet Earth. We we need to hear their real story, and so we getting at that around here. So 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 hold on, you know, button up, get your popcorn. Where you at, brother Chuck Morgan? What it do? What it do? What it do? What's happening, brother? I can't see the camera on. You ain't got this CD, man. <laughs> What's up? Hey, man, I appreciate that introduction. I appreciate that introduction. Glad to be back in these YouTube streets as it goes. Yeah. yeah so yeah, my beginning you. thing goes back to uh, the Mo Better Man show, which aired in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Of course, the whole corridor of Virginia as well. Yeah. 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 But there were no limited scriptures on my part, as far as I was concerned. But certain things we couldn't bring in because you say, well, we don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, it was a mind shift, though. But I, yeah, that was a mind shift for me. It was helping it was helping me get out of the position I was in just, just the way you did that though, brother. So let's, uh, let's, let, let, let's dig right in. What, what, what got you interested in actually, uh, coming at the topic of Suma? Like, like what made you dig in? Somebody must've shook you wrong somewhere along the line, bro. For you to go that hard. I know how you do Chuck. Um, actually, no. Um, back in the, back in the late seventies, um, you know, as we get out of school, we come home and, you know, watch the different TV shows on Channel 20 in D.C. And, you know, one of my favorite shows at the time was um, Gilligan's Island. And so there was an episode is where the professor or well, Gilligan found some tablets that washed up on, on the shore. And um, the professor, the character goes, uh, he uh, understood him to be um, ancient cuneiform writing. And... Um, he had made reference to that, and that was my introduction into any inkling of what a cuneiform was. Of course, cuneiform is just a wedge writing, and um, the way that he was um, presenting it on the show, I found it interesting. And whenever I heard that word cuneiform and then all the different groups that were associated with it that... Um, that utilized 
that writing system, you know, I'm starting to see a multiple of different groups. So I, um, it wasn't until um, I started getting involved with the whole York thing that my interest started to um, intensify because um, I had already started, you know, reading up on Zechariah Sitchinson's writings. And, um, and some of the brothers that I had known, you know, they was like, you know, dude is on some some other stuff, you know. Um, I used to hang out with uh, Steve Coakley, and and he was um, making uh, talking about how you know the dude was uh, you know off a bit. <laughs> some of the things is is uh, I forget what he called it, but uh, you know he was just uh, critiquing it, and I kind of put that to the side because I had taken my hiatus at the same time, you know, with York and them, and so it wasn't until I say about a year ago that I really started um, to go into it and um, study the language itself. Um, a year ago, I did a presentation um, on the Garfield show, um, the Sumerians, were they black? And that was, you know, I, in my research, it took about a year to put that together, about a year, a little more. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought it was pretty good, um, you know, I put it out there and it was a thing is where you, the, the consumer, you, the viewer, you decide based on the presentation and the volume of evidence that I'm presenting, you decide what the conclusion is as far as you're concerned. And I was already pretty much uh, convinced based on that, um, that uh, evidence that I was able to, to um, uncover um, looking for, listening to the various arguments that supported the idea and um, it's, it's just going through it in depth. So I just, uh, you know, did this thing, you know, just took a break from that uh, whole cult stuff for the most part. And um, <laughs> How you managed it, that, it, Chuck? <laughs> um, you know, I, listen, after you have been doing this stuff since, what, uh, 2011, mm -hmm. I'm kind of on, you know, tired of even talking about York, but you know, I'll do it for those that need it. Any information, I'm, I'll supply it. If they got debates, I'll do it. Um, but because that was something that was always of interest to me when I was a kid, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I, I can get into it. Now, I had briefly tried to study the, um, you know, the Egyptian language, which is, you know, and unto itself is cool. But I, I, I my interest was more in um, Sumerian, particularly. And um, and because everybody else, for the most part, were in that area of, you know, Kemet, you know, I was like, let me go here because it's a fresh territory. You know, the, the slate is clean. And let me go up here because this is something that I've, I've been, you know, fascinated with ever since a kid. And so, you know, I've, I've been gaining some ground. I've, I've, I've made some connections with people, you know, who, who you know, helped me out, um, enrolled in uh, classes and, you know, doing certain things. So. You know, I'm a baby in this stuff, and it's going to take years, I think, you know, because you got to do that, and then you got to juggle your own time and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just getting to the basics. I've, I've gotten a pretty good grasp of the, of the grammar and the history and et cetera. And so, um, you know, down the line, when I start doing uh, other presentations, it'll be more advanced. Say a year from now, I'll be far more advanced than I am now as I was last year. You know, so 
it's just a matter of applying yourself. Uh, and um, <laughs> in a lot of the cases, when it comes down to the various signs, uh, memorization. Uh, my fascination is with the um, the period under um, the third dynasty of Or. Um, and my favorite, uh, of course, is uh, Gudea. So, who, who all right. So, hold on. Stop right there. That's a good uh, uh, entry point, right? So, before we get to Gudea, I want to talk about the language itself. All right. I want to talk about is it a so called Bantu language? And that's the question everybody want to know. Okay. We got brothers around us that are, that, 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 that are actually saying that. And I, I couldn't find evidence for it. And I think it's important based off of your angle of study, because you're studying it actually. I think this is good to have people that are actually studying from that position in Summa instead of looking at it from, say, like an Af Afrocentric viewpoint or African, you're looking at it that way and, and, and you're just the confirmation bias is vast, right? So, so, so I respect the fact that you actually have immersed yourself in that situation. Uh, Tigers, Euphrates River, in that area right there. Suma has always uh, interested me. We know for a fact that by the time you get to third dynasty, then you get the Acadians and the Gu all that start to come in, right? But I'm going to ask you this question. And so few people in the community uh, think it's, is it any experts? Let's start with the experts first. I think this is important. What experts or, or supposedly experts, we'll figure it out, actually try to connect uh, Sumeria to Bantu languages? Did you know of? Um. There were a few people um, in the uh, early turn of the century, uh, and then there are some people who, you know, advocated for that. Um, there was a book. Let me see, because um, I, I want to um, get the names right. Going back. Uh, uh, okay. Um, the, when you say the experts, um, I haven't come across any um, actual um, serious a seriologist gotcha. that have made that connection. Huh. Okay, there have been individuals over the years that have, um, you know, put out various theories on the origins and linking it back with this group or that group, you know. Um, but uh, as far as the experts are concerned, I haven't uh, personally come across any serious linguists. There was an individual by the name, or there is an individual by the name of um, Graham. Graham, um, uh, I just had his name earlier. Uh, yeah, look it up. I think uh, Campbell Dunn. Graham Campbell Dunn. Mm -hmm. He had a publication um, that uh, talked about that, and um, <clears throat> you know. I don't really know how to uh, express it or put it in a way without. Um, man, just say it, man. Being... You on the pseudo killers, man? Just say it, man. We don't gotta do all that around here. We get straight to I'm, the I'm conversation. Just... Yeah, well, we get straight well... to the conversation around here, man. Yeah, we just get straight to it. We don't got time for that. Yeah, we need to hear it. We need to flush it out our system, right? We need to know the difference. Go ahead. Well, yeah, essentially, is uh, his theories is um, you know. It's based on the fallacy. It's, it's um, cherry picked. It's um, 
uh, false cognates. It's uh, um, no history on the on the time frame of when, say, uh, a term was used, where it's derived from, how the Bantu were able to get into a position is where, and, and for that matter, it may be specific because if you're talking about a Bantu people, you got to be specific on who, where, which group, you know, because then I'm looking at it like this. Okay, so if you're going to take a proto-language, because proto-languages are, you know, hypothetical, right. you know, and then you're going to apply it to a dead language, and you're expecting to yield absolute results. Now, if you're going to do it, and you're going to come off on a, it's, it's, a, it's a theory, it's a hypothetical that we want to uh, explore, by all means. You know, you have that right, of course, if you have the proper funding, by all means. And then uh, let the uh, experts in that field go through it, lock, stock and barrel. But uh, I haven't found any any uh, supporting evidence of that. Um, the two most prominent uh, scholars on um, a, post, a postulated language or, or hypothetical Bantu languages was Carl Meinhof and Malcolm Guthrie, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and both, because I have this in, in, a, in a PowerPoint, uh, both Meinhof and Guthrie reconstructed an original hypothetical language for the Bantu languages. Meinhof called his reconstructed language or Bantu, while Guthrie called it Proto-Bantu. And the origin of the Bantu languages cannot be determined with any certainty because there were no written records of the original language. Languages were carried over orally from one generation to the next. No orthography existed to record the spoken language. The absence of written evidence makes it impossible to trace the origins of the Bantu languages with any certainty. So in the study of the development of the Bantu languages, the term Orbantu is the name given, of course, by Meinhof to the uh, presumed or hypothetical original Bantu language, uh, which he, const- he reconstructed using a collection of groups of cognate items from various languages. I got that from the Communication Dynamics in African Languages, University of South Africa, uh, 2018. Uh, so to answer your question, if I didn't directly, um, there's no serious study in the field of connecting Sumerian to a Bantu language. Mm. I just haven't seen it. And from what people have presented that I have viewed, I find it um you know, I, I, I personally, I, I don't see any anything with it. I just see it more as just um, kind of almost playing on on people who may not have a familiarity with the language or the grammar itself. Because once you start to explore some of the so-called uh, cognates, you'll find um, a whole list of problems such as um, loan words, uh, false cognates, cherry picking, because, you know, human beings you know, we at especially at an ancient time. You know, as as we go, you know, with sounds we had a tendency to make sounds that are very similar, and depending on how these sounds and, and how they were uh, taken down or written, 
in a record because the Sumerians, that was one of their claims of fame is, is documentation. They kept a record of this stuff. But at the same time, their records is based on a group that dominated their society, which was the Akkadians. And then the, the Akkadians were eliminated and taken over by the Gutian, the people from the Zagros up in the mountain area who were wild ass people, right? And it wasn't until we realized in, in the research that um, while all this chaos was going on down in Lagash, you had, um, you know, society that was pretty much unscathed because that was in the deep southern part of um, the, the marsh. And um, they were able to um, live you know, in relative ease, um, not so much caught up in the warfare that was going up in the far north. And by the time... Um, by the time of Ur-Namu had um, a campaign and organized the various groups in Sumer to rise up and remove the Gutians, by the time that was completed, that brought in what we know today as the Renaissance. And that was to bring Sumer back to its pristine state prior free. to so the right. takeover right yeah, of right the Gutians. Yeah, freeze right there. Because we I, I want to talk about this Renaissance era, right? But I want to talk about Herrenstein. Am I saying his name right? Uh, yep. Yeah, Herm Herrenstein. Yeah, this is where we actually uh actually run into some books. Now I've read the works by Kramer, uh mm. the Sumerians. You feel familiar with that? It's a good work, right? Mm -hmm. Not yeah, that was one of the first ones I read. Yeah, right, right. Okay. But then there was these books that was a dollar ninety-nine, a dollar, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can get them for a dollar. And Hermstein. Am I saying it's not yet? Hermel Hermstein, <laughs> right? Black Sumer, Organ Civilization. Mm -hmm. And there's some claims made in that. So can you right. kind of go to that the title of the book? Can you can you pull up that slide, right? And I want you to go into certain claims. I know, I know there was an interview on a Sahu Temps channel and Herrnstein started to talk about the hat was a, a bunch of nonsense, right? Nobody corrected that, right? So let's get into that. Let, let, let's dive right into the Herrnstein guy. Okay, I'm looking at him as being a straight pseudo, but, but, but how many of us did he get for that dollar? Reading that information, right? <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. Like, like and, yeah. and this is what I'm saying. Like, we got to watch what we actually promoting. Okay, like just grabbing anybody because it fit our little uh, uh, square, our little black community square or country community square. And he's saying what we want to say. He didn't make thousands of dollars off that dollar. It was a hell of a scheme, right? But the work ain't right, right? So pull that slide up, Chuck. Let's get you. I think you got the cover of the book. Let's talk about the statue, right? I see the statue behind you. That was my favorite statue. I'd have, I'd have cussed you out three years ago saying it was a black man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Pull it up. Oh, let me see if I can find it. Right there, because my thing ain't. I got a new computer because both my computers got shot down. I think somebody hacked me or something. Um, I'm trying to get back to my main screen so I can uh, share my screen. All right, there we go. All right, so let me um bring this up. Then this is from last year, um, on the Garfield Dagger Squad channel. And shout out to the brother. 
Garfield, my man, for giving me that um that opportunity. Okay, you see it on the screen. Loud and clear, I can see it. All right, so uh, this <laughs> section of the PowerPoint uh, went into uh, Brother Hermstein and some of his uh, claims. Wait, go to the book real quick, Chuck. We want to see the. We want to see the. I'm on a roll here, brother. All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm agree. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, hold on, no, no. Let me, let me, um, let me do that because I, I got this, this, this weird kind of mouse with the ball on it. I ain't never used one of these joints before. Um, so let me, uh, let me pull up the cover of this joint. All right, that. There you go. Right here. That is the book, Black Sumer, The African Origins of Civilization, Hermel Hermstein. And this book was, um, at one time, it got kind of popular on uh, YouTube because I saw people putting it up a lot. And, um, you know, at that time, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I wanted to get the book because, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about it. I, I just went by what I saw. And um, if this book uh, purports to have um, some alternative viewpoint that has some evidence that's been uh, you know hidden for the most part um i'm i'm willing to look at it and uh that was the um the book so i got it you know went through it you know say okay some interesting stuff in it mm -hmm. and because there's so many uh terms or there's this many words that's used you got to go and take your time and go through each and every one of them things you know and um you know to the uh, lay person, the average person is, he's not necessarily going to go and do that because there's a process to um, doing this sort of research. Because number one, you have to be familiar with the grammar. You got to know what certain, at least certain signs represent. You have to know um, the time period where these signs or languages started, words were, were innovated or um, um, taken and moved on to succeeding generations um, because you know that there were numbers of individual nations that lived in Mesopotamia and even in the surrounding areas that came in and took over that utilized that writing system. And then they, in that writing system, brought in their own language and then innovated the language. So when you see some people, they'll put up images of Neo-Assyrian period and claim that these are the Anunnaki or these are um, Sumerians for the most part. I say that because that's a catchy phrase I use. And um, that's not the case. You know? So there's a specific period, time period that I like to focus on. And what I have learned over the years is people will say that this Neo-Sumerian period, that was when all those white images that uh, people say are Sumerian. Let me give you an example. Um, if you go back up, they'll they'll focus. Oh, wait, here we go. Like, um, boy, this mouse is it's going to take some getting used to. All right, so like um, the blue eye mutation that, that that was in the PowerPoint. So they'll look at something like this, like this. You know, since we go walking on the looker ship train, and so. We'll look at uh, this here. Look at the ship train. Yeah, you know. So when we when we see this type of thing, hmm. um, and you say Black Sumer, say wait a minute, something's wrong here. 
you know. Now, I, I, I wouldn't have any problem with you saying that uh, there were certain um, individual Africans or people of descent mm -hmm. that may have occupied the region, interacted with the people. That this is not, I'm not saying otherwise. That is a possibility, of course. But um, when it comes down to the ruling class who were allocating the, the system of grammar to the, uh, the, the rulers and the scribes and the scribal schools, you know, and the choices that they use and how these words are supposed to be um, implemented in the recording of various uh, histories of their time period, how they documented things in their time period, how they depicted themselves. All of those are relevant because I don't find Africans in the ruling class being in a position where they had that authority. Now, my question to people who are proponents of this theory is at what period in time did these Africans occupy Sumer, which city-state did they occupy that had the dominance to be able to implement your language or bits and pieces of it into the Sumerian language, or if it was the root of the Sumerian language, at what point did this take place? And the documentation to verify it. That is, a, that is what will, that will satisfy my curiosity. And then I'll have something to, to I'll have a starting point a ground zero to begin research in that area. I hear a lot of um, um, work correspondences and cognates and, you know, this type of thing. And that's not satisfactory because, you know, you just can't take a language and assume that based on that language that is identifying a particular, quote, racial group, you know. And for some people who may not want to go that route, they'll just take something as simplistic as, well, they refer to themselves as the, uh, the blackheads, Sangiga, the Sangigians, you know. And I need to know, okay, when did they first refer to themselves as Sangiga? I said Sang because um, when we see it, in, in transliteration, you see Sagiga, but um, there's a little, uh, when you look at it in translation, there's a little symbol that goes over that gives it the I-N-G sound. Mm -hmm. So it's a sing, it's like a sing, Sangiga. That um, was one of the first things I learned in, in class. And let me make this clear, and I want to do this in the opening, is that I am not an Assyriologist. I am not a, Sumer a Sumerologist. Mm -hmm. I am a person who is absolutely fascinated with the Sumerian society and culture and language, particularly with the uh, their dynasty of Or, uh, Lagash. My favorite, of course, is uh, Godea. And uh, I'm just, you know, a lay person. And this is just a little something that I do when I have time at work because, you know, I, I work at a prominent resort and I have plenty of time overnight, which I'm going to give up later this year. And because um, we just got another business started and I have um, up to eight hours to just study. 
And that is an area that I, you know, I, I put my um my interest in. And so all I'm too. doing is presenting my the research that I was able to come up with. And I try to cover every every angle, area, loophole to try to get to the bottom of this stuff. You know, and in doing so, you know, you talk to people, you, you, you're part of groups and classes and things. So, you you know, you exchange numbers and emails or text messages. And, um, you know, I have, I have some people who are, um, you know, learned Assyriologists who have publications and all that other good stuff. You, you touch bases and you just ask some questions. And just when I say them just because they're who they are, I'm just going to hear what they have to say on the subject and then we'll go from there. You know, spit the bones out. Somebody once said, you know. And I, I work it from there. So, uh, so as yeah, it sure. pertains to this topic, I don't find uh, any substantive evidence to support it. So, so Chuck, yeah, I appreciate you actually making that um, distinction right there. I think for far too long, this community has promoted uh, expertise by non-experts, and we have a rash that is going on. And it and it happened uh, in, in in the two thousands amongst Malachi. He was the expert. Right. And then you had people like Bobby Hemmett, Delbert Blair. They, they was the experts. And I came into the community and everybody was a damn expert. And, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to show the community what the difference was. And it's been my whole mission to make sure these things weren't mixed up. Because once it get mixed up, right, then a person will throw doctor on their name. I'm this. Just because you're well studied in a topic doesn't make you an expert. There are certain qualifications and you and the question is asked. Well, then who qual? How, how can that person qualify? No, there's there's manner of doing business. Even if a person that works on concrete, you have to prove you have to be proven and verified to be able mm-hmm. to actually uh, mix poor concrete, right? Build bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the expert. They don't just let anybody do it because you've been jacklagging it, right? You got to get tested in that field, right? To show mm-hmm. and prove. So I think that's important that you actually said that. Did we talk about the bush on our favorite guy here that I swear was a black Okay, man. so... Um, hey, but, hey, hold um, on, though, before we move right there, because uh, I was kind of curious about the uh, piece, everybody. Um, the the um, the the name they use, uh, black-headed people. Yeah. Right? I know, because uh, I've read uh, I've read Zachariah's book, too. And I know, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember, it's been a while since I read that book, but I know he went a different route. And it didn't refer to him as a black-headed people, but but what was the time frame? Because I, I, I when I read the book, I thought that was from the beginning. So that, that so you saying that that name wasn't the original? Like that name came about later on in in, in, the, in the history? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you know yeah. what? Do you get like a uh, maybe a time frame? Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go through it. Um, you still see the screen, right? Yeah, we yeah, can see yeah. All right. Let me um try to get down because um this was a short PowerPoint I did for another show. Um, uh, the purpose of this PowerPoint is simple: is to bring some clarity and context to the use of the term unsangiga, better known as the black-headed people. This name, black heads, is currently used as an implication and as evidence that the ancient Sumerians regarded or called themselves black people. You gotta click on it, Chuck. We on a different one. You don't see it? I think oh, no, I did, just oh, did, you're reading for something different. I, I see Hammurabi. Yeah, Hammurabi. Okay. Uh, Ur, okay, so I didn't change it. Oh man, let me let me I'm sorry. Let me um let me stop sharing this first and then come back. 
All right. Um, where you go? Okay. Um, yeah, there it is. Sorry. Can you see it now? Oh, uh, yeah. Post date. That's the one. All right. So, um, get, I want to get right down to, uh, what you, what you were asking and get right to it. And you're, and you can now uh, write this down because, where is it at? May put it right here so you can see it for yourself. When the first time it was used, where it was used, the text that it was first used in, and go from there. All right. So let's go here. Let's see. All right. Um, as we go down, there we go. Yeah, this should be right about here. All right. Okay. It's important to note that the Sumerians never gave a real definition of human beings. Instead, they describe human activities and his place in the world order. Um, getting out to this thing right here. So for the term Sangiga, um, we can consult its entry into the uh, electronic Sumerian Pennsylvania Dictionary 2, because Sumerian Dictionary 1 is no longer updated and it hasn't been updated for years. So at the top of the page, uh, we'll give a list of the known spellings, syllabatic and logographic for the word in question, followed by a quick graph showing what time periods each was used. Underneath, there's a quick list of the time periods the word is first attested to, uh, each of its hyperlinks of where the text was used and can be read. All right. So I'm sorry, I'm using this weird mouse for girl gave me. All right. All right. So um, we can see that its earliest attestation as Sagik, Sagik too, because um, that's that's a term that's used in the seriology so that they'll um, they'll know because of one syllable has like 10 different meanings, you know, so you got one, two, three, four and on, so forth. So um, uh, it's uh, one. It's a text from the or three period, which is the Renaissance period also called the Neo-Sumerian Empire, um, a 22nd and 21st century BC middle chronology. Um, there's 45 texts which appears during the old Babylonian period, one for the middle Assyrian period, uh, three for the middle Babylonian, five for the Neo-Assyrian, and one for the Neo-Babylonian. And clicking on the hyperlinks opens a menu, the text, and so on and so forth. So let's go and look at it. So if you go to the Pennsylvania, I'm sorry, if you go to the electronic Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary 2, of course, you'll click it and you'll see Sangiga, humankind. Um, you'll see right here, if you look up, you'll see this is the first rendition of it, for the or three period, then Old Babylonian, Middle Assyrian, uh, Middle Babylonian, et cetera, et cetera. And we see the spellings here. Sagiga here, Sangiga, and then Sangig, Sangigiga, you have Sangikiga, and of course, Sangikor. Okay, so in looking at this, you'll see the, the various forms right here. This is the or period, you have the first attestation of it, 
This is not doing the early dynastic three period, the early dynastic B period, Ebla, the old Akkadian, uh, second Lagash. This is the or three period. This is the first rendition of it. That's when we find it. So if it was talking about black people, then this picks up during the period of the Renaissance. <clears throat> Are they telling us that Negroes migrated into ancient Sumer at a time when these wild savages and killers known as Gutians had left the Zagros Mountains, came down, waged war on the Akkadians who had already put the Sumerians away and took over their society, right? Down in the southern, southern tip, oh, bottom, of the now of, of now of the uh, of Levant, of of um, the marsh, these people were living. So someone has to explain how did these Africans bring their, their language to that it became so significant that it became a part of that of that language itself. Or if these were Africans who had occupied Sumer, I need to have some visual documentation to verify. Because you're not going to just play the, the linguistic, um, you know, uh, gymnastics, you know, because it doesn't work that way. Because we can go, anybody that's, that's familiar with this stuff can mm -hmm. go through it thoroughly and take out each word and then we can trace the origins like we're looking at this in here. Let me go down. All right. So, or three, Sangiga. Sangigiga. The or three period is during the Sumerian Renaissance period after the Akkadians, after the Agutians, not prior to the early dynastic three or early dynastic two period. Okay? Here we got it. And the use of the term, we can go to the Akkadian, and we have various texts where the term that the Akkadians used was Zamat Kakeda or Kakidi, okay? This is attested to, and I put this out in um, my other PowerPoint, where uh, you can go to the Code of Hammurabi, where he, this term is used in the Code of Hammurabi, talking about them. Uh, references to all phrases. We see it right here. There you go. So they term it, Zamu, Kakadu, head, and they, they, that is where you get the use of the term for people or humans. Well, I'm just using human as a way that they're putting it out because that's how we're looking at it in modern terms as human beings or people. If, there, if this was talking about Negroes, Black people, there would be a terminology or a history in Sumerian literature that identifies a people who have, quote, Black skin. Now, um, there were, let me stop sharing because I had to do another PowerPoint on the use of the term kiss versus kush. So I'm going to go to that. So, yeah. And I want to show you. I want to show you something. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah because go I, there. So, yeah, that's that's uh, I kind of learned about that term with um, trying to think of the guy's name. Leo Hansberry. Leo okay, Hansberry, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it, uh, mm -hmm. and I got—I forget the title of his book. 
when he talked about that term, right? But the term was first was, tested. Uh, the book, the name of the book. Yeah, what was the, what was the term? I forget. Uh, Kush. So, but actually, those those forms of Kush is always found in the area of Mesopotamia and all that. You find um, that first. You're right. You're you're right. You're right. That um that term is well. First of all, be, let, let me stop right there. I want to talk to the brother that asked the question. Is that clear? Um, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. Very clear. Very it, clear. Uh, what yeah, what I would suggest, what I would suggest is if you go to the uh, electronic Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary, or you can even go to the um, electronic text corpus of Sumerian literature, and then you can put in just put in um, uh, black, and then you'll be able to go to it. Or you can put it in the words uh, sangha itself, and um, you'll you'll find um, the answer, the history, the origins, and then you can go to the various texts that's supplied by Oruk, um, uh, the Yale University as well, where you can go and look at the text, and so you can see the transliteration, and you'll find it where it's, it's, it's irrefutable. Yeah, yeah, I got you because when I remember when I read that, but it was a long time, and I thought that um, you know a lot of the um, I guess the blackology was like kind of like the same way they did Kim and like the, the black headed. I think the black one says not the black headed, they would say the blacks the same way they do with, um, with Kim. Yeah. 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 Not in this case. <laughs> but I'm, I, but something that Unc said is, is right. You said when you find this word, uh, uh, Kush, you're right. You will find this word Kush multiple times in, in uh, Sumerian literature. Now, um, this PowerPoint was centered around um, another topic that uh, just took about a year to put together as well. Um, and I, and I, I take kind of pride in it because I found out something in this thing. And ironically, um, it was thanks to uh, uh, Brother Smash Rockwell in a presentation that he did that uh, spearheaded my curiosity into something when he was going back and forth with uh, the other others on on uh, a whole, an unrelated topic in between to uh, ancient uh, Egypt. All right, so um, in going down, let's see, this mouse. Um, I'm going to get right down to the point of it because I don't want to waste too much time with it. Uh, so here we have right here. Now this is the this is the second time because the first time I did it on Garfield's show, but this is the uh, second time that this has ever been presented publicly. Uh, and there are only so many possible sound combinations uh, in the, that humans can make, and uh, since each language only uses a small fraction of these, we tend to use words in foreign languages and sounds that uh, sound more like uh, our own and uh, than they would naturally be. Uh, many similarities in names and words are purely coincidental and do not show any uh, sort of historical, etymological, or cognitive connection. With that being the case, there are three key words in Sumerian related to this topic, and they are kish, kush, and kush too. Huh. Did you know that there's a word kush in Sumerian? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, because <laughs> I got I learned from Leo Hansberry, and he was big, like right. like the biblical text and all that. It, it definitely ain't right. coming from Africa. <laughs> what does what does it mean? Well, never, I, let's, let's now that I'm here. not sure. Well, let's go but, to it. So right, in this one syllable here, uh, we have Keish, and the Unicode. You can pull it up. The Unicode number is twelve one a seven, and is identified or defined as totality, complete, and it's a cessation can be found in an administrative text that you can just write down 
dating to the early dynastic A period. This is before Lagash, this is before or this is going back to the early period. Okay. And nothing in this word can be regarded or linked to Kush of the Bible, nor the peoples of North Africa. Now you can go to the openly rich annotated, annotated cuneiform corpus where you can pull the text up itself and you can, uh, I think they still have the transliterations there. Otherwise you can pull up and you can take the cuneiform character and you'll be able to see the use of that, uh, that sign there. Now, next we have this word Kush. Now, if the Sumerians truly wanted to say that the world, say to the world that uh, they were black people as a racial epithet, as a racial group, uh, they would have simply stated it in the text. And for the record, they did, they did mention um, that those who had uh, black skin uh, is found in the word Kush Gigi. Kush Gigi. Kush Gigi. Now, the problem is, Kushgigi as a determinative is a term that was used to represent leather, skin, and is found in um, various texts uh, when they were doing uh, inventories on uh, trade, um, the transportation of various items, precious items, and we'll, we'll go through those texts. So, and, and if this particular term here, Kushgigi, that's a Babylonian term. That's not even in Sumerian literature. So you can't take the word Kush and say that Kush means black because of anything that you may have read in the Bible um, uh, or Nimrod and the Mighty Hunter and all that stuff or the peoples of North Africa because that term that they used was as a determinative to uh, indicate that the following word was supposed to be something that is uh, made of leather, uh, is uh, animal skins, etc. Okay, so you okay, let's get this established. Um, you'll find it in a Babylonian tablet, not Sumerian, and the primary publication is ASJ09, uh, 289 through 291. And of course, you can go to um, Oric and find that as well. I'll pass that. Um, so let me, let me, oh, where was the element? Oh, oh, and finally, oh, here we go. The, the last one we have is Kush 2, meaning to be tired, fatigued, exhausted, or out of breath. Okay. And this is another word that, although it has the same pronunciation of the word Kush in English, it too has zero to do with any ancient peoples of North Africa. Kush as a word does appear in Sumerian and Babylonian literature. However, there's no connection whatsoever to Kush Kush of the books of Genesis nor Africa. Okay, so you can go to the digital corpus of cuneiform lexical text and you can pull that up. And then we, I was, I've supplied it right here where you can see it yourself. Now, what I had mentioned earlier, you see that, you see, hold on, okay, there it is. All right, you see here, all right, you see this kush, 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 kush. And then the following term that you have, uh, dura mashda, uh, kush mashda, uh, kush amar mashda, uh, kush sheg, kush shegbar, kush lulim, kush alim. Kush Udutil, 
Kush, Ban, Huna, and on and on and on. And look, gazelle skin, skin of young gazelle, mountain goat skin, fallow deer skin, stag skin, bison skin, wild sheep skin, and so forth. But not so on you get the point. Not on for black. You see, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Now in the next in the next one here we have. There we go. What I had made reference to earlier, Kush Gigi, black leather. Kush Sua, red leather. Kush mm-hmm. Gunua, venerated leather. Kush, as a determinative, it's not even mentioned, usually. So it would just be Gigi. But when they read it in the text, when you read the um, the various texts that they have written on it, all they have to do is put up. When you're reading it in the, when you're reading it in the cuneiform text, you'll see. One, you'll see either this, this. It's like in this text here. You'll see it right here. So you'll know that you're not even you're not even reading Kush. You're just going to be reading it, and then you'll know that this is talking about um, the skin of her buttocks her ass (laughs) so um this again has nothing to do with that but i think there'd be some some people depending on their motives will use that and unless you take the time to really investigate this with an open mind you're going to come away with um something that um, refutes it actually Oh, you see about here, the, you're talking uh, about the Kush term, right? That's what we have, right? Let me see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, the Kish thing, we've uh, that that's already been established. Because yeah. um, all right, let, let me, I may have to go back. And I don't even know if if I go over, if I go to another one with my. If, um, stop that! No, no, no. Go back to that. Go back to that geography real quick, because everybody kind of forget they forget geography, bro. Yeah, yeah. We don't got the actual man. I would like to see a map. Hey, where you at, Brendan? I thought you had some a map. Uh, kind of showing Suma. So I, and I think a lot of times, man, we need to do the... We, I have some area maps of it. Huh? Yeah, so we can just see the vast territory, how far, like, we, we, we make it seem like the ship was from Baltimore to D.C., right? Like, right. Our, our understanding of time and travel and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's bananas, Chuck. Like, it's not fair how people take advantage of us with this. Like, we've been taught all our life to submit some... I mean, once you consider yourself getting conscious... Everything becomes black, and the Sumerians, the black kid ones, uh, yeah, same thing. It's in Chancellor's work. Uh, as a matter of fact, he opened the book up. Well, what happened to the people? They forgot their history. The black kids. It's right. It's right there. So yeah, this is a running theme. So I'm glad you, uh, you know, sitting at the rest. Knock it off. The band tune. The black. No, no, we gotta knock that off. That's not. That's not kicking. The the young brothers. Ain't ain't and sisters ain't representing that no more. That ain't what that we we can't verify that. Yeah, with experts, we, we can't do it. So we're not gonna we're not gonna run around and and play this little game. Like the game, the gig is up. Simple as that. We're not doing. Okay, I see it. Sumer, Elam. Yep, I see the Zakaris Mountain. These are the yeah, right. Yeah, these be, these being the various uh, city states that um, um, depending on the period. They were uh, ruled by different kings or a uh, Lugal. Um, okay, so down here in the southern tip here, or it was during um, this period 
uh, of under Ornamu. Uh, and his, uh, well, actually started with uh, uh, Gudea and, um, and it passed on from down and down to where they, uh, it was Ornamu that they got together and they pushed the people from the Zagros Mountains who had occupied the Gutians out of Sumer. And the reason it, it became the Renaissance is because these people, because um, in the text, in very Sumerian or Akkadian text as well, they documented how the Gutians had destroyed a lot of stuff. They started coming in. They didn't uh, have a sense of pres preservation, writing. And they were just an uncivilized group of bandits. And so what uh, Ornamu wanted to do was he wanted to bring Sumer back to the powerhouse that it was in that region. And one of the things that he used was the building of monuments, great edifices, um, going even a step further than um, his predecessors when they were building various uh, uh, houses and temples like they had at the uh, great temple in uh, Nippur. Um, they started this campaign that lasted generations to where they were building like the great Zagarats. Um, the language was, was everything was documented, administrative text. I mean, literally thousands of documented clay tablets, cone tablets, bone tablets. <laughs> they wrote that on everything. And they were, they were um, commissioned the various scribes to, to give a, um, a history as well as uh, documentation of the language, everything. We had all these administrative texts. Anytime that a temple or home was built and it was dedicated, you know, you had a prayer that was um, put together, you know, um, to certain places that were sacred land that they had built these temples. And in, in the case of Gudea, you know, his uh, he was such a humble, uh, based on the writing, the, what they have in the literature, he was such a humble man that um, he was he was so humble that he didn't even want to go by the term uh, Lugal, which was a name that uh, the kings use, uh, Lugal. Um, he would say you were Lugal, Ki-Ori, ki, ki or Ki-Ingi, Ki-Ingi, Ki-Ori, uh, king of Sumer, king of Akkad, um, in the case of uh, 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 Sargon, his thing was he was the king of the universe. <laughs> he was supreme king, you know. So uh, uh, um, Gudea, his whole thing was he um, he referred to himself as an insi, which was someone who was just uh, you know as, as a like a governor or ruler, and that he was not anything greater than his god who he had dedicated his life to which was uh, Ngersu, Ngersu. He even named his son uh, after his god, Ngersu. You know, so that's how humble he was. And, I, you know, I, I kind of like to do because, you know, he got, got a kind of pretty, got a, got a, uh, uh, he got an honest face. kind of like to do, you know. <laughs> that's why I, I put him up on the wall over oh, here. Oh, you're talking that's about, is that supposed to be a bush he got on, though? And, um, okay, no, no. I don't know what um, um, Hermstein was smoking. Yeah, yeah, bugging. Yeah, yeah. Let me. Uh, can I? I'm gonna stop sharing because I want to go back to that. All right, never, freeze uh, that. We'll freeze. Hold on. Oh man, I want you to freeze that. I want you to show. See right there with ore, right? 
Put that back real quick. Right Watch this. I'm going to show you oh, something. Oh, okay, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, go back. Right there. The ore. I'm going to show y'all something. All right. Ooh. All right. Hey. So we're right here, Chuck. So you see it's near the Persian Gulf, right? The Rudu and the ore, right? And so you know these, these stories that come out this area, right? Utna Fishnam. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you talk about Abraham is from the ore Chaldees. This is the area. This ain't got nothing to do with African people, right? But I, the point I want to make about uh, Utna Fishtim is where it it later on, okay, these are the, these these would be the ancestors of the Hebrews, basically, okay? And so yeah. they bring with them these stories. Why? The Persian Gulf actually flooded out. How do we know it flooded out? Look at the last glacier, glacial max, maximus about 11 to 10,000 years ago, okay, when, when, when the ice starts to subside where you get Lake Michigan, okay, where you get, uh, let's see, Lake Michigan, the, the Great Lake regions, okay, uh, the, the Laurentide ice sheet, the di different ice sheets, they melt, and, and, and the rivers start to overflow, Persian Gulf floods, so you got people living around here, okay, in these time periods, because these are some old-ass settlements, I'm telling y'all right now. So at 12,000, you got people living here, and they flood out. How they know you? You can pull the articles up where where they where, where they chase where they start to find uh, near the shorelines like the, the the water buried these people and so they take these flood stories with them, okay? Mm -hmm. They develop flood stories like Udna Fishnam, okay? Mm -hmm. And God comes down and talks to Udna Fishnam, and He warns them of a flood. These gods warn Udna Fishnam of of He's going to flood out humanity because they've been evil. Right. And, and Utna Fishtum actually builds a boat. Right. And he but he actually uses tools and they get together. They build these damn boats and he puts animals on the boats. The story sounds early similar. Right. But these stories are actually carried on and later on. These Hebrews carry these same flood stories on. But these flood stories ain't coming from the Nile Valley because they didn't actually get flooded out like that. But, but the Persian Gulf was directly affected by the melting of these ice sheets and people lived there, culture lived there, and they got flooded out. Later on, these genetic memory of flood stories is carried forward. I just wanted to bring that out. And so they bring the different terms with them. So I'm, I'm making a point here. This ain't got nothing to do with African people. So the Hebrews is out of their mind, right? And, 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 and these neo, brand new, uh, uh, new wave, uh, people actually putting together this nonsense is just that. So Hernstein guy, he's playing on your fractured consciousness. This ain't got nothing to do with you. Let them have that. I just wanted to bring that out, Chuck. Now let's go to the Afro. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and you had, the, and you had the, uh, the flood story of um, Gilgamesh. That's it. I gave mm -hmm. the name. Oh, and, and also not, and also the flood story of uh, the Fistum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did I say that? Did I say that? Yeah, you said, did you say that? Yeah, in the fish. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I kept saying was in the fish. I, I don't know if that's. Uh, I think that's different from Gilgamesh, right? Uh, no, it's not. That's in the Epic of Gilgamesh, and and, and the character in it that that, that Gilgamesh is talking about is in the fish. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, the uh, flood story of uh, Atra Hasis. That okay. was another individual. Who oh, yeah. had a? He's a character in a Sumerian, uh, a, a late uh, Sumerian epic that speaks about a great flood and a creation story. So that was Atra Hasis. Which one? Atra which one is older? Which one is older? I know Gilgamesh is probably right around two thousand. I think it, uh, uh, um, it Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. Yeah, Gilgamesh yeah. is old. 
It was see, we learned all them stories in the whopping. You know, we, we kind of learned all that. And, and that's why I always tell people this uh, uh uh these presentations that Chuck's been going around doing is really essential because never allow Malachi Yoke to teach you about Utna Fishnam and Anunnaki. Never allow Zachariah Sension to teach you about Utna Fishnam and the Anunnaki because they will always teach you to fall for their foolery completely. They're not experts on the situation. And, and watch this. And even if you're not an expert, you need to at least use expert credible sources and this they do not do so it's a flood of that it, it's actually raising this ugly head again all around us slowly but surely you'll find non-experts presenting faulty sources right so it so i would never present that that work that book ernstein to anybody Right. And I would love to interview that guy because we're going to have to get it all the way in on the said subject. Like, I'm just not going to let him run the stop signs like that and confuse the people. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, them, them, them days is gone. It's over with. We're not playing that game. You're not selling this dollar books no more and playing the game. So, Chuck, man, you might not know, man, but this is a valuable. These presentations that you're doing are valuable with expert sources to get us where we need to get to. And we need to learn about other cultures too and stop acting like it's our culture. Like, like you know you can learn about other cultures and it not be your culture and you try to steal exactly. it and make it your culture. Yeah, and that's, that, that's how I feel about that. I mean, I, I appreciate the Sumerian culture and their contribution to humanity, but I don't want to be one of them. I'm not, I'm not walking around, uh, you know, claiming to be a Sumerian. Hell no. You know, I respect them and I keep them in, the, in their place. And then that's it. I move on. It's simple. Um, you know, as I because I like I said, when you br you brought up York and you brought up Sitchin, um, because um, you know, in the nineties, of course, York started to uh, adopt Sitchin's uh, booklets and just uh, kind of did the dipping in chocolate kind of thing and mm -hmm. gave it back to mm -hmm. us. Yep. Um, yeah, I know you read you know, up Eric Von Donegan, Chuck, right? He was he was a he was a absolutely. Yes, I man, I was on all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. me too, me too. Heavy, heavy. Yeah, man, I was <laughs> shit. I was <laughs> I was into that stuff. Yeah, you yeah. know, because you know, coming out of the eighties, you know, um, when I started going into this consciousness thing, you know, I, I had a job in DC at uh, the Pyramid Bookstore, and um, you know, um, it was a whole black thing going on. I was making kufis and taking kente cloth and making that stuff hand by hand. You know, just sewing it, stitching it. And it was a sister, uh, Alicia but Ali down in, um, she, she worked there. She had a, a business called, uh, Jewel, not Jewel's eight times, called uh, a cable on, a cable on books downstairs. And, you know, she would <clears throat> pay me to just make this stuff. I was selling for $5 here and there. You know, you have different people. Uh, Malik, Sabah, Malik uh, Zulu Shabazz, he would come in, buy my kufi oh, when he was a uh, student at Howard University, you know. So that was my thing. This was before the York stuff. Um, so yeah, coming out of that period, you know, you were you were open to anything that's black. Anything you say black, that's got to be black people. You know, it just just had the way the way it is. Not taking into account that you know certain people just didn't use that term to identify um, a group of people. You know, and in this case, we're with the people, uh, <clears throat> the Sangigians, that's just not what is is. Um, evidence of in their literature you know 
because we can just take that word uh, kush itself and see where in their their literature do they use it as a as a term that's used to identify a racial group even though they didn't use that term or they didn't use the idea of race that we know as we see it in modern terms mm-hmm. you know they identify people but they, they they identify them by name by region and sometimes by religious um affiliation right you know and the wild, the crazy wild is these wild people, what you want to call them Caucasian or whatever, they was up in the Gutian Mountains. They was in the Zagros, those crazy Gutians. And they document how they saw these, these nuts. So I'm trying to figure out <laughs> at what point did the Africans occupy the, the, the region of Mesopotamia when you had these madmen, these assassins, these sick bastards running around up and down without any opposition that you had these black folk coming in and say, hey, this is our language. Why don't you all take this? Because we were originally the uh, Sumerians, but somehow y'all got sidetracked. But we were, ah. this is our homeland. I don't get it. <laughs> and I'm not buying it. I, I ain't falling for it. Now nah, we went you know? to we we went through that. through that shit. Oh, yeah, we've been through that. We can't we can't play that game. Like I don't even. And I try to stay them. away from that. Huh? They convinced them with the divine forces of Ra. They were dressed in white and they went um. Yeah, crazy. And I'm, I'm saying I'm not playing none of that. Okay, go ahead to the slide you was going to get with with um our favorite dude with the, with the sorry brother i was I, it, it was it's uh it's tea time <laughs> it's just ironic it's four o'clock over here and i just got some tea it's tea time oh, wow. with Tiffany. yeah he in hawaii he's in hawaii, oh, hawaii. okay well, all right. All right, sure. oh yeah 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 that's that's my homeland all right um hell man oh see i gotta start because yeah, let me go to the other five points i don't know how why i gotta stop it people sharing my screen i just could just jump yeah, from one point to the next nice right. flies in there <laughs> oh yeah man that's that joint um it's on youtube good yeah, I um the, i see the local rashidi in there yeah, yeah here you go here you go here you go here you go all right now this is from um this is the first one we did are right, you see it yep yeah, yeah nice. um so um is it yeah Right. So anyway, on the many on many of the statues of Gudea, he wears a headdress, which some have made the ridiculous charge that it represented or imitated kinky hair. That was the quote that he used. The um, the who? Oh, Lord. Here we who go. Who did that? Uh, Hermel Hermstein. He did that on uh, on the brother. Um, uh, a saw show. show. Yeah. What is so, his head or, or cut? I know I saw a customer. He don't, he don't no, 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 no. He was being respectful and let the man talk. You know, yeah, you know, as, as any good host would do, just let the man talk. But he agrees, right. though, because he agreed. He, he was his argument is that a, not a it wasn't an over a population shift, but a small group of Africans traveled to Samaria and 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 that small group influenced the culture at large. That's his argument. Mm. Yeah, 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 I've, I've oh, heard man. that. Yeah. And then, you know, that's that's plausible. But, um, you know, I like it's to see possible. the documentation. And <laughs> yeah, possible. I need to see. I need to, and I need to see when this explosion occurred that they started having such an influence on the language of the people 
and and I need to know which city state that they in in small pockets influenced that society. Because listen, of all the ancient peoples, it appears to be that the Sumerians has the largest vocabulary and volume of literature. Thousands of them have already been deciphered, and there's thousands more that haven't been deciphered. So if this is truly the case, because we do have evidence linguistically, textually, of the peoples from the Indus Valley who traded with the Sangigians. Hold on. Coming back. Just call me. Um, so we have the uh, people of uh, in, uh, in this valley who clearly are within the boundaries of the land and did trade and and brought in um, items to the Sumerians that contributed to their their um, society. And they're mentioned by name. You know, you Chuck, have the Harapians who were there. Chuck, you don't see so, the girls right there, though, Chuck? Say again. I mean, you don't see that curly hair right there? Are you are you kidding me? Kinky. The kinky curl. Are you serious? The the the, the, the <laughs> Bantoon twist. Yeah. Come on, Chuck. Yeah, I hear you, man. Shout out so, to Nunu um, in the chat room too. Shout out so, to Nunu in the chat room. So the brother um appreciate that made, support. Hey, Shout out to you. So the brother made so the brother made the point that um what you see here would uh, go because remember, if you study the history of Gudea, his whole thing was that uh, he was not just a king he didn't want to go by the term a king he was an nc and he saw his nation of lagash as his flocks as sheep and he was a shepherd and that's what his crown represented we have this documented and if it, and, oh, and, and just it. for the record and for the record if that is indeed a representation of an afro <laughs> please tell me why his eyebrow is unified <laughs> unibrow so yeah that's a good point there chuck let me um where the rest of the pseudo killers there y'all got any questions we'll open it up man to the panel so let me but before we go there let me you know let me just wrap this up real quick you know because like i said i you know where to, where to start so um yeah that's his um that was his uh his son or ningisu mm -hmm. um so a uh, choice to emphasize his headgear uh, which was sheep's wool, um, and was delivered. And not only complimented his meek, iconic, humble standing and sitting position, it also offered a distinct kind of allure designed to make Udea powerfully attractive to both his people and his humility to his god, Ngirsu. I'm sorry, Ngirsu. Ngirsu. Uh, Mish, that right there, that where's my mouse? Right here, uh -huh. this right here, mm -hmm. it makes that um, mm, like ing sound, and then this little, little, I don't know, I forget, uh, circumflex, whatever they call it, right over top, it makes a uh, instead of a like a s sound, it's a sh sound. So you have nin, mish, zida, mish. And we know that it's a God because this uh, determinative here is a dingir, the dinger symbol here. And it usually uh, comes before the name of a deity. You'll find it for Enki, 
uh, Enlil, uh, Marduk, and so forth. And um, the various groups, Akalian and others who, who succeeded, they utilized that same system. Okay, so um, with that, let's go to the next one. So um, the fundamental problem with those arguments is inconsistency. Um, they'll say that under Gudea was the Renaissance period where you'll find blue-eyed statues, yet this same Gudea, after the Gutian occupation, reconstructed temples, built new ones, erected numerous statues and sculptures of the various images claimed to be white Sumerians, yet he has a hat supposedly representing an Afro, which you would think if you're going to use the science of sound right <laughs> that if you're going to have a hat that's supposed to be an Afro, I'll be damned if you can't build a, a monument where you have uh, uh, images on, on the tablets or the walls that have folks with a uh, big-ass Afro. Think on that. My man Steve Coke used to say, pause. <laughs> yeah, damn anyway. for a minute, man. Hey, stop right there, yeah. man. Look, make sure y'all support Abs You Wear, man. Um, let I'm I'm gonna let uh Chuck finish out his point. I dropped the link in the chat, man. Brendan, Sosa, Chefanel, y'all got any questions for the people start coming to the building and asking Chuck the questions, man. Yeah, hey man, I, shout do, out I to, do have shout, something. I'm sorry. I want to give a person. Let me give a shout out to that young man in in the chat, uh, the brother, uh, my man uh, Reggie. That young fella there, he's a good guy. I like Reggie. That's my man. Yeah, he's, he's younger than me, so I got to say. Yeah, Reggie coming. Reggie coming. Reggie coming. He's best believe. Brother Reggie, brother Reggie, gonna make him black. Yeah, you already know, man. <laughs> Reggie, man. I like, I like Reggie. I like, I respect I'm a, him. I'm going to say my questions after Reggie get on. <laughs> nah, yeah, he reminds me a lot now, of the guy. Like, nah, I'll wait for Reggie going to break out a presentation. He already know, man. Can I share my presentation? Ready already. <laughs> we, um, he reminds me a lot of the guys that I knew when I was working at Pyramid Books. You know, people, um, you know, that was a good, that was a, a very, um, interesting learning period in my life and i think that um everything in my development um to where i am now yeah, i attribute it to the different uh, phases of of transition and study from various peoples and you know in different walks of life that helped me to get me to where i am now yeah hey chuck you did this whole presentation on guard i'll go back and look at it I have a YouTube channel. If you, if you go past some of the York stuff, I, there is, I have video up there from that, that show. Check it's it only out. about drop two hours. Yeah. Drop a link in the chat. I know, Brendan, you had a question you were going to ask. Yeah, I did. I wanted to pull up a, um, a map that shows some of the trade uh, between the Indus region and Mesopotamia as well, because that was a real interesting sort of piece there. And I think we, we, we kind of miss you know, the vastness of, of, of a lot of these regions. Let me, I'm going to pull, let me pull stop sharing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pull this up and you, uh, and you, you mentioned like the goods that are traded between these areas. Um, mm -hmm. and this map sort of, sort of hits on that. Um, so it talks about, you know, there's a, these chloride vessels, right. That, that show up with Indus inscriptions and metal works right mm -hmm. um that originate from the indus region right here on the far the far right here you see and these dotted these sort of these dotted lines here if you guys can actually see this screen this sort of shows the trade routes right um in between the indus region and all the way back over into mesopotamia right 
So when it shows this in this small little legend here, it says uh, the ruins of cities such as Harappa and me what's a Mohenjo Daro show planned streets layouts and sophisticated water supply drainage systems. It says these cities produced fine metalwork and developed new techniques and handicraft. Say so from around 2500 BCE, they traded widely dispatching their goods with seals carved with inscriptions. These branded objects have been found throughout Mesopotamia, revealing how widely the Indus people traded. So there was a, a real, I guess you would say a, a rich, um, uh, you know, system of trade between the Indus and the Mesopotamian region here that's sort of shown um, on this map, which I, I thought was yeah. a bit interesting, right? And it shows up, yeah. you know, it's sort of zoomed out here, right? So even all the way to the far left, we see Egypt here, right? Now, mm -hmm. in terms of having interactions somehow between, you know, all the way over in West Africa, right? You, you don't, you don't even see any, you know, any, anything really shown here right this this kind of shows you like what what the, the the extent to which you know these you know the, the the travel that would have to happen for for any interaction between what was going on in west africa all the way over to mesopotamia and have and how you would have that influence so you know from a geographic perspective it just seems a bit unlikely i agree yeah you had to go all the way down to Nubia. They mm. traded. That was their expertise. They was trading with inner Africa. Yep, and it shows that, right? It shows the uh, the trade between, you know, I guess, you know, gold, copper, ebony, incense, mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. was along those lines, you know, all the way up to into Greece and Anatolia, right? Those were some of the mm -hmm. the trade routes between Egypt and Nubia and all of that. But uh, but again, right? There's nothing here showing any of those interactions with West Africa. Hey, when I'm looking at that map, though, Brendan, you said what were those squares? I can't see it. Yep, it's uh, those, yep the the small red ones, right? You see those are chlorite vessels. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the material chlorite is. So, but when I look at that map, they're saying like the um, you don't see too much influence from the Indus Valley going fur further into the uh, the western part of Mesopotamia. Or is that with the red tint? Yeah, the the red, the, the small little red icons there. Those are the vessels that were sort of originated there. They were there that are built over or created over there in this region. And those are have, are shown. Those show up right in, inside of archaeological digs. The, those show up with Indus inscriptions across the this region. Right? What is that? So, what is that red tint though? So I see that little red, red red line that goes up and around all the way down the mountain. Oh, oh, that, that is. Hold on, just a second. Uh, what is that? That is. Doo, 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 doo. That is the Akkadian Empire. That shows Akkadian the. Empire. Yep, right. that shows the outline of the Akkadian Empire. All right, all right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'll stop sharing. Yeah, see Reggie in the building. Gullah, peace to you, brother. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up going on, man? What's going on, Reggie? Hey, Reggie, you got a question? How you doing, Gov? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, what's, what's your question, Reggie? Are, are, are the Sumerians black? Turn the mic up a little bit, Reggie. Turn the mic up a little bit. Are the, <laughs> no, Reggie, are the Sumerians African people? Yeah, no, the, the, they're not uh, direct descendants of African. All humans are African people. 
Smeared his mud all over the place. Let's get it. So, uh, Chuck, uh, thanks for mm-hmm. the presentation. I, I want to try to answer some of your, uh, some, at least one or two of your questions. Um, okay, so there is uh, African contact from Africa through Asia, um, and that is necessitated uh, by the uh, by climate. Climate uh, forced Africans uh, in North Africa uh, to move uh, to uh, other parts. Also, animals where animals grazed and grazed, and all that had to do with a- animals. I mean, climate. Uh, sorry, climate. Um, the problem with the uh, Sumerian uh, issue, it being an isolated uh, civilization, is the fact that uh, where is their cognitive and neural evolution for them to even get to writing? Where, where, where does that exist? Where can you say, can you give me some time periods as to what... Uh, could have been the uh, uh, cognitive and neural start of of of, of of writing for these people. Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do know is that. God damn, you got a lot of symbols on you. Oh shit! <laughs> oh man, you didn't flip the, the game. Um, <laughs> we know that the. Um, the Sangbiga people did uh, arrive at some point in uh, the Marsh area, and there were already existing societies there. We know this has been the uh, the people of, of Oruk, uh, or or um, um, Namjessa, mm-hmm. and the system that they utilized, uh, which was a, uh, I get the some of Assyriologists call it Proto-Sumerian, which is um, a system of pictographs. And from that point, at some point over time, that was the uh, beginning of the uh, codifying or putting a language system or writing system together is where we see the gradual um, metamorphosis from pictures into these what we call cuneiform characters and the phonology being established to um, identify them again coming based on what we know in the records that the Akkadians left because we don't have Sumerians writing and telling exactly where and how it was put together. Mm -hmm. So African people uh, have been using okra to begin writing uh, more than, let's say, 40,000 years. And that moved into uh, rock paintings that's all throughout Africa. Uh, and you have that whole period from uh, 40,000, 20,000 years. So uh, in Africa, there's a long gestation of uh, uh, some cognitive and neural uh, evolution that may have given to writing. You also have fired clay in about 8,000 in, in uh, Mali, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, 
then formulates a, a, a genre of uh, wavy line and dotted wavy line pottery, which Ankh is an expert on. But you have ceramics now gives you the uh, period of uh, that you have portable art. And portable art is transferred uh, from people to people, uh, purposes of trade, communication, uh, you know, uh, their symbolism in there uh, to describe things. Portable art helped. Um, 8,000 BC, you may have simple tokens in um, that area of uh, uh, Iraq. Uh, you may have, and then from about 4,500 BC to about 3,500 BC, you have uh, the movement from simple tokens to complex tokens. And then from uh, the period of about 3,500 BC, you have clay envelopes, and then you have the numerical tablets that they want to say is writing, which is about 35 to 3,400 BC source. And then you have the first signs uh, on, on clay. Now, those signs that are on clay, um, hmm, uh, then we, since Africa, is particularly in North Africa, and you have uh, Libya, and you have this Tassili Niger, you have rock paintings all around. Uh, when they do begin to do pictorial writing, it's horrible. It's uh, their art form is horrible. And then that moves into cuneiform. So the answer to- What's that claim, Reggie? What's the claim you're making? Cause you're kind of saying a lot. That you're saying that- the, <laughs> are, are you saying that, it, that, their, that their writing stems from- What? African influence? Is that the claim you're making? Oh, Reggie. Yep. You made a claim about the development of the cognitive ability as if humans don't develop as humans everywhere at the same time. So how do you quantify that claim that uh, the cognitive ability to write was only on the continent? Neanderthals uh, we have records of, 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 of Neanderthals doing cave art. We have that also with the isolated groups down in Australia doing cave yeah, 40, art. And all 40, these people years. migrated all over the world. Uh, it's, 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 it's simple. It's been, it been, it been in Africa 300,000 300, years, Reggie, and it and it been it been it moved out when hunter gatherers moved out 60,000 years. You find okra all the way in Australia, bro, in Asia and shit. Like, uh, so. Um, so, that, that, so that that makes my point. So what so the 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 fact of the matter is it, it moved out of Africa into into Asia. So yeah, I don't with, have with, to. With, with I can first, give you a source. When we talk about Sumeria, oh man, about, that's stay home on, man. Listen, freeze. This is what we're gonna do. We need to stay around Chuck Morgan's topic. We're not doing this. We're not gonna do that. That's too much. Come on, man. Yeah, we can't do that. Okay, I mean, no. I mean I, then I, then I, then then uh, I don't. But I, you can I, stay there with Chuck. Chuck, I'm asking, but I'm dealing. I'm, 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 I'm answering. You shouldn't have I thought me and Chuck was having a conversation. I thought Wait, I was asking a question. Stay with Chuck. Go ahead. All right. So Chuck, 
So basically, okay, if I could just share my screen. I just oh, my, I knew he going to have a yeah, pretty face. Fucking right. Ah. Fucking right. You just knocking over like. It's a long ass question. Goddamn I fucking yeah. right. Okay, I want to give, I want to give, I, I want to give y'all, um, okay, the current curator of the Metropolitan Museum of Art is Dr. Helen Anderson. Dr. Helen Anderson wrote a book um, on, no, it was her dissertation, and her dissertation was the cognitive and neural, uh, let me get the title of it. Uh, I love neuroscience, but. Yeah. The it's not the it's uh it's the it's the cognitive and neural let me see uh yeah beginnings of art one hundred thousand to twenty eight hundred um, BP a neural approach right and in that she outlines you can see my screen can you see my screen yeah, yeah, yeah we see it okay hey, we see what you got okay so what she does is she outlines uh. Um, she, she talks about the cognitive approach and the neural approach, right? And then she goes and she's, and, and she, once she does all of that, then she looks at human history. So then after she looks at brain function, she starts to go to, um, um, she goes to the periods of, 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 of Africa. She goes to the periods of Africa and she outlines very well the, um, the different cognitive and neural evolution. And then she goes into out of Africa. And then she goes into the areas in which, what, which we were just talking about going all through, right? And then, and then she, uh, she continues and she goes into, uh, she goes into uh, uh, Europe, right? Her, um, but her, her focus now is uh, she begins this journey when she begins this journey, she begins in um, she begins in Africa. So she does a really great job of talking about the rock paintings and the uh, and the portable and the portable art. And so it's the rock paintings and portable art that um, that finds itself into other places based on um, based on trade, right? And then she, um, according so, to you, got to say according to her though, because like a lot of people are not familiar with neuroscience, like I, I, I am, and mm -hmm. uh, what you the part the part of your brochure on right now, some of it is debated because it stems from a um, trying to establish when when he when when exactly a human being develops symbolic thought, mm -hmm. uh, but even though the transfer of symbolic art isn't doesn't. May not necessarily be linked to um, necessarily per writing per se, because they do kind of pinpoint writing as starting from um, counting, from counting a need to like. So whenever you see writing pop up, even like in uh, Sumeria, or you see the easy the first instance you see of it is not necessarily a, a written uh, language; it's counting. You're correct. Track and numbers and stuff like that. You're correct. And so that's why I'm now what I'm so she goes through this whole thing of mark making and pot marks and uh, things that you do on shells and ostriches. She does all of this. And then she go and then she does that in uh, Middle Stone Age Africa. Um, she she OK. So then where I want to just deal with um, uh, points because you know Chuck Morgan is my brother, 
So I, I and I and I appreciate the work that he is. I appreciate the work that he is doing and trying to educate people about the misconceptions of the uh, Sumerian culture. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I respect that. But I want to get into some just some time frames, and then I don't want to take up too much of your time. Is that I wonder? Okay, so I wrote a paper, cuneiform writing put in perspective, and I used. Um, writing in early Mesopotamia, the historical interplay of technology, cognit cognition, and environment. And from that, what I did was I mapped from what he's saying from simple tokens to derived simple tokens. So simple tokens is the 8,000 BC. Derived simple tokens is 4,500 to 3,500 BC. Clay envelopes in Europe is about 3,500 BC. Okay, we don't have writing yet. Then we have the first numerical tablets, 3,500 to 3,400 BC. And then we have the first signs that people could say is writing. Um, and, uh, um, and then we have proto-cuneiform. Okay, so once we have, once we have those, uh, those, those type of periods, um, when we look at the simple tokens, this is what they wanna say is fucking writing. This is their evolution, right? Then what they want to do is from the simple tokens, these are simple tokens. This is this is 3300 BC. This is what they're doing in 3300 BC. Um, the, the, the African uh, in uh, 4000 BC in Nakata and in Nubia A was already um, dr um, drawing on pottery motives that would have been art, proto-Elamic -Elam labels, right? So you have you you have uh, this is what proto-Elamic labels is. This is what they want to say is writing. Then it's clay tablets. I don't want to go. Then we have the famous Kish tablets. So Kish tablets is thirty five hundred BC, and this is what they want to say. I don't know if I can zoom this in. This is writing. This is writing for the world, 3500 BC. And so from the Kish tablets, of course, it moves, it um it moves to you you like saying it's just because of the art form, it's not you, you don't consider it to be um well you would for writing, you would look for morphology, you would look for more than logograms and pictograms, you would want to see some type of uh, 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 sign that says male or female, you would look- Can you read that tablet right there though? Can you huh? read that? Are you able to read that tablet? Um, I, I think that they, uh, um, this is a, this, they're talking about barley here and they're talking about um, distributing um, barley. This is the best that they have been able to uh, to deal with at this at this stage, meaning barley was something important, and um, they were basically this was trade items for barley. It could have been accounting uh, that they were counting barley, but we don't. Uh, this type of uh, uh, proto-cuneiform moves really quickly um, in the later periods to some of the forms that we see here. So it then it moves from here, which is still this is this is what you have in the Met Museum uh, had 
until they moved protocuneiform tablet, 3100 to 2900 BC. Uh, this is what you have. Uh, and this one is over here, the fourth protocuneiform tablet, fourth millennium BC. And then over here, um, so what, the, what, what basically these are, are pictographs and logographs. Around 3100 BC, you have now um, human figures with the associated signs in about 3100 BC. Okay, so I'll stop. I'll stop. And um, I'm trying to figure out what was your question already. Like, what is your what is your contention? Um. Well, my my um. I was just uh, asking um, um, to find to first. We have to we have to have some type of uh, chronology. Uh, we definitely have to have chronology. We're talking about things. We definitely have to start dating it. Gudia, you can date that period. And but my base contention is that the cognitive and neural evolution came from Africa to Asia. Asia did what they did with their own acculturation. I'm talking about Iraq and Iran. But the the stimulus was in fact from trade with uh, African people. And so you have to show that link, right? Though you have to show that that, that the African people traded right there. Because when you talk about the cognitive um, development of Africans coming to Africa, that's just showing necessarily brain development to go on and, and do symbolic thought. But like you're kind of more more or less shoehorning it into um, like I, I, even when you do African, I think that's really a bad term. I think you need to just say human human cognitive um, symbolic thought. Well, no, it comes from a place. Yeah, but the, I mean the place is Africa, but it's, it's in the wrong well, context. What else do we it, say? We say humans from where? But it's in the wrong context to make it Africa because these humans are spreading out and you make it as if these Africans are now transporting, these Africans are now transporting to Asia. And these well, they Africans, are humans. And, they are humans, but okay, but so the humans choices. in Africa and the humans in, um, in Asia, right, via the Levant or communicating. Right? Reggie. Yes. You fail to take into account that the same human development was happening on this side of the Atlantic, uh, but we simply can't decipher the writings of the Incas and the Mayans. Uh, no, human developed, humans developed, humans were humaning all over the world. And to Sosa's point, when we're talking about early, early humans migrating out of Africa, we know where each genetic marker came into being, how they mutated and developed into the distinct groups that we see today. So to use Africans as if this phenotype is what went over with our culture intact and we taught these people, this is what that, that line of, of Cedric, communication Cedric, Cedric, um, um you my brother and I respect you. Um, um, but I'm um, doing it in the context of neighbors. So we know that the, the continental Africans were neighbors, neighbors with the Levant and they were neighbors and those were neighbors of the Mesopotamians. So I'm not going, I'm, I'm not dealing with North America. I'm dealing with uh, concepts of um, yes, Robert. but Reggie, I'm addressing <laughs> your hypothesis. It happened like how you saying it happened. It happened like 
and the ability to write that came out of Africa, and that is how these other people got it. And I'm challenging that particular statement by proving this was happening all over the world. Did the Africans create Chinese writing then, Reggie? Um, 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 not, not, I can't say, I can't say directly. Um, I, and, and then, I, I can't and then the Mesopotamian writing was, was all about grain counting and, 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 you know, and wheat counting, stuff mm-hmm. like that, keeping, keeping, keeping stock, keeping the storage of their wheats and grains. Yeah. Right. I don't okay. have a, and, and I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. There are isolated cultures like in the, like in the Americas, like in Asia that came up with systems independent of Africa. I am only talking about Africa, uh, Canaan, and uh, in Mesopotamia. Those groups of people, we know that they traded because prior to the last uh, 80 to 100 years, uh, they was basically saying that it was Asia that gave Africa its spark. And so that was uh, put to rest. So now we have more information that it could have been, it certainly, uh, it certainly was the other way around. It was the, um, it was the, okay, I'll uh, I'll stop. I was just trying to talk to Chuck about, uh, Mm -hmm. about chronology. So when we have all these tablets and all of this, uh, all of these tablets, we can date the time period in which they emerged. What my whole thing is, if you have the simple tokens, you have the envelopes, right? And you have the first signs, and then you have cuneiform. What what happened before? Is that just, well, could you just say that that is uh, isolate itself? Well, well, um, I, I think it should be um, clarified that when it, the reference being made to be an isolate, that's uh, specifically making reference to uh, those languages mm-hmm. that uh, have no... Um, uh, connection to any known language family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question, based on your brief presentation, and it is something that um, is worth uh, looking into um, to try to simplify it. My question would be to you, mm-hmm. um, specifically by name, which African nation did this uh, migration and or trade? None. Uh, these are at, at at best. You can look at the uh, Green Sahara cultures. Um, there's no written. You can look at cultures based on innovations and mode of productions that you can say that those that began to create pot marks on ceramics, particularly the wavy line and dotted wavy line, that that you could find that pottery, that type of pottery in uh, Asia. So we know that the wavy line and dotted pottery walked across to the Levant and to uh, Asia. And yes. So um, can you, okay, I need specifics. I need, because if I'm going to do my research Mm -hmm. and um, do the, um, you know, tracking down of these various peoples and groups, I want to know um, who you just mentioned. 
Do they have a um, documented tribal name or region mm -hmm. specific? We, we know settlements. And so we know okay. like the Gobero. We know we know the rock painters in Gobera, And we know uh, the, the Sili Najir, right? So we is know, it, no, you know, cultures. I, those are different. Okay, so those are different periods, Reggie. Even in the even in the Tassili cave, or those are different periods. You got to be specific. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um. Um. Well, the um the the rock paintings in the Tassili Najir, the the and and the and the um the paintings in Gobero. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Hey, Gobero. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Gobero. Just, just, just for example, you got you got the round head art. In the, in the in the Sahara, the roundhead art is, is different than certain other types of art in this area. I don't disagree. And so the, what I'm saying is I was answering this question that we have cultures. And so we can we can separate the cultures by uh, by things like the roundhead. And we can and that's all that we know of these groups of people based on the the artifacts uh, that they left in the context of uh, how they de describe themselves. So there are lots of groups of people in the Green Sahara um, coming from lots of places because that's where all the water is, the fresh water, mm -hmm. the, the best climate, the best food. Yeah. And so there are yeah. different groups of people. I can't say one which particular group of people yeah. uh, see that's that's where that's where I was um trying to go because uh, you know there's too much out there and there's too many generals and there's a lot of um, hypothesizing. So I, I was trying to, you know, pinpoint it to a specific, if we got specific time periods, I want to know exactly what group. And then I need to know um, what well, I get what you're saying. Um, as far as uh, what say um, a head represented in pictographic art uh, um, in the uh, pictographs um and the innovation of it and then how the phonology developed um that that's a period that's something that i would be more interested in because then the adaptation of how uh, words are used and applied i how where is is that stemming from these um african peoples that did migration as well say that again the last part say the last part again Okay, and to make it simple, the way that the Sumerian language in the early periods, early dynastic period, the language itself and the phonology that we have that we have documented, mm -hmm. were oh. there. Af Let me finish. Were there Africans that brought in their language? Was it by way of trade and in communication? There was a words that they used and say, "Well, this in our language represents this," and if it wasn't that. How exactly did yeah. I'm because I'm not getting any um, any specific groups in their uh, language itself. I because you know I've heard the generals that uh, Proto Bantu, uh, Niger Congo. I I, I want to know pinpoint it as to who is who before because I'm just hearing too much general stuff. Well, um, and, and I and I and I and I and I admit that. But let's go back to one point that uh, we have a lot of people on here that believes that uh, Afro-Asiatic is undefeated. <laughs> hey, let's stay focused. Let's stay focused. Though. I am. I am. So, 
Uh, and I have a question. Can, can I ask a question after after the race get done? Yeah, yeah you I'm, fo- you I'm, fo- I'm focused, and I know I took a lot of your time, but I'm focused. So, so when it comes to language, and I think that uh, writing, uh, language, and writing is the part that we were really talking about because we're talking about cuneiform and cuneiform tablets, right? Um, the no, that I don't, I can't. I could say that groups of people traded with with each other based on portable art. And I can say that even with the portable art, they uh, if they are trading, they have to find a way to communicate. Um, they have their se- separate languages, uh, but at some point through counting and uh, the display of artifacts and possibly labeling those artifacts, then there is some type of a uh, common uh, nomenclature that they, they worked out. Do I have a particular group? No, but I have- Portable art moving into Asia. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. cattle moving out of Asia into Africa, right? In the period of mm-hmm. about 60, 6100 BC, I have cattle moving out. Cattle moving into Africa from Asia, right? Um, so I um, so the, so the, we have goods, and the mm-hmm. the Egyptologists and the Syriologists up until maybe about eighty years ago was basically saying that all of this, uh, all of the African innovations was uh, from Asia. So I'm just countering yeah. that. Yeah, uh, okay, a lot I'll, of that is, I'll, um, I'll yeah, stop. Um, I'm sorry. There's a lot of other people that want to ask you questions, yeah. but yeah. I would say that it would be important, it would be important to tease out the cognitive and neural evolution periods the genesis cultures that got them even to write right when i do know but there's no code okay when when this when this uh um cognitive revolution starts ready you talking at the hundred thousand year mark no but i'm 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 narrowing it down to the period i'm i'm very very narrow but but once they leave out ready at seventy thousand, that 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 those humans, those set of human beings already have that cognitive ability. Going out at 70,000. No, right? Yeah, they were humans, but there's particular... But just, but just hold on. They go out at 70,000, right? They start spreading at 70,000, these humans, right? So we, we, we're at hunter-gatherer stage until 10,000 BC. Right? If you're familiar with how hunter-gatherers movement operate, they ain't really just rocking and clicking up for a while. It, t- it takes some time for that the whole shit to, you're correct. to hammer out. You get chiefdoms, right? And then you get and then you get farming where they can actually settle down, right? And pastoral. <laughs> and pastoral, and right. And when you get farming and pastoral, you get conflict. The farming have to block off land because niggas ain't just walking through each other's stuff like that. You ain't just let cow. So I mean, there's a lot, like you're kind of just hopping over a lot no, of No, I'm not. You to are get to Samaria. I am. I'm talking about this period where cuneiform emerged right from tokens to actual writing and to say at that time period was at the same time that Africa was engaged in its, uh, but Africa had engaged earlier. And so we have the wavy line and dotted wavy line pottery that we know leaves Africa, not only into the Mediterranean, but also into uh, Europe, 
So uh, to Gibraltar. So we, we okay. see the dotted wavy line pottery outside in Europe. So the Africans in North Africa were, uh, the, and the, based on the Green Sahara and also based on climate, was moving around. So I, um, I'm very, very narrow. I'm very mm -hmm. narrow. I'm not all over the place. I'm in this particular period of roughly what was happening, 8,000 to when we get writing, which everybody says is 3200 BC. Yeah, I'll stop. Uh, I'm not going to say another word. I'm just yeah, well. Yeah, let, let go. Yeah. I'll let go. Last question. I ain't gonna. I'll let go. Go ahead. Go. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. And just the brother. Uh, have you ever heard of the of the hypothetical of language family uh, or uh, uh, proto language that's called proto uh, Euphratic? And uh, do you know any connections with the Sumerians and the Elamite uh, civilization? Well, what was that? You were talking to me? Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? I was saying, have you ever heard of the uh, the hypothetical uh, language, uh, the, the uh, mother language that they they say it's a they saying it's a, a, a substratum? I've or heard it. It's called. I've heard of it. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of it, but uh, I have not investigated that. Okay, and uh, and have you ever heard uh, uh, the the connections with Sumerians and Elamites? And also, uh, they're saying too in genetic studies, saying uh, the Sumerians genetically have a genetic connection to the Marsh Arabs. Well, that when when you start talking about genetics with the Sumerians, uh, I think it's fair to uh, specify exactly um, which uh, people in Mesopotamia are you making reference to, because as it stands now, there's no uh, collected uh, DNA chart where it was uh, documented that these are the Sumerians based on the um, the bones that we found in the marsh area. Um, I've uh, in my proposed my PowerPoint presentation, I went to some of the leading um, archaeologists and uh, people who specialize in uh, uh, dating uh, bones and etc. And as it stands now, they don't have bones of any ancient Sumerians. Because of that marshy area, the uh, decomposition and deterioration, it doesn't have any uh, evidence of uh, uh, the Sumerian people as uh, having uh, uh, having uh, samples used in order to um, put in a database. And uh, that's part of uh, the big mystery as to who the Sumerian people were. Now, what they do have is they'll take the uh, DNA of some of the oldest inhabitants in the region and uh, link that back to various um, Arabs. But uh, again, that um, doesn't necessarily uh, identify the uh, Sumerian people specifically because they're just basing it on the oldest inhabitants, which is possibly um, related to the uh, earliest Sumerians. But you must keep in also in mind that people, there were a number of groups that occupied and dominated um, Mesopotamia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Different people particularly, came. Um, yeah. yeah. Now the the Gutians, the Gutians, they didn't just pop in and then pop out. They're they're documented as being there for nearly ninety years. And um, you, I'm certain you're pretty sure to know that. Um, when anyone um, occupies a region, um, you know the pillaging, the, the raping of people, and on and on and on. 
you know, it could bring about a whole different uh, gene pool for the most part. So um, I would, well, personally, I would like to see um, that um, that documentation because, you know, I'm, I'm always open to anything, you know, as it pertains to this, because there's always something out there new. Um, but from what I understand is they don't have any, um, or if it's so limited that it's, it's nothing that could be um, uh, uh, identified with a specific uh, group as in the DNA of uh, the Sumerians. Yeah, that, yeah, that make that make that make a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, so again, I'm not to go back um, over this thing, but I that I mean, I see where he's what Brother Reggie is and where he's going with that, and you know, I try to make it simple and you know, not to be so complex, you know, because you know, the layman they don't really get into a lot of this uh this deepest stuff, but just just on the surface, I just like wanted to know specifically which group and then when they they did make their way into asia or whatever specific group, i, I want to know did the uh, people of orc did they um leave any um uh, pictorial um, um uh, evidence uh, mentioning in some way that uh, there were people that came and gave them uh, uh this form of writing you know because there is a sumerian text if i, I can pull it up where um they attribute where let, let me let me if somebody gonna take it out let me see if i can pull it up because i'm asking Reg, because Reg, that's what i want to ask you too Reg. so um do you do you find evidence of some borrowing so what what evidence do you have of some of the borrowing that because because i would say because because they kind of put um yeah um, egypt I, writing uh, let's just say it real quick because they kind of put the, the beginning of uh Egypt writing or the, the, the proto forms of it and count at similarly around the same time it's developing in uh in um Samaria uh -huh. in that region. That, I mean I mean that region of Mesopotamia. Uh -huh. it, but it's but it's it's, it's right about the same because they they make a difference between um art and writing. Mm. I know so, so okay, when you so sometimes you're, you're blending you, just to, uh, just so that we're all um, we're all at the point. Gunter Dwyer pushed back uh, writing to 3300 BC, right, with a particular uh, method. So he looked at the Abydos labels. So he pushed it back to 3300 BC. And, and what I basically showed is that in 3300 um, uh, BC in Mesopotamia, you basically have a uh, tokens and you begin the first simple writing. Um, then in, in roughly about 36 to 3400 BC in um, the Nile Valley, the Nile Valley, I'm not saying Egypt because there ain't no fucking Egypt at this time, right? It ain't no fucking Kemet at this time. So don't, I'm not one of those people. I got it. I got it. Right? Yeah. Uh, you have to look at the, um, the Nakata decorated vases. So the, the Nakata decorated vases, to answer your questions, for most people, they seem to be just uh, uh, figures. But and that's, I get it, Reggie, but you kind of you kind of now supplanting your theory and what you present it in as that that's kind of nuanced because that's your. What did I say, what did I say Gunter Dwyer? That's established fact. 
Yeah, yeah, but the vase rock, they don't consider that rock. But yeah, yeah, but they still have they still had the, the, the origin of that that Mesopotamian rock is still at around the same period, 3300. Right. Right. So 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 my question is that if these things are developing right at simultaneously at the same time. No, they're not. That's the that once once Gunter Dwyer showed the Abydos labels. Right. It's not at the same time. What's happening in Abydos is is how much longer before? How much longer are you saying before? Yes. How much? How much earlier are you putting writing in in, in that region before writing in the other region? Huh? At least two two hundred years from Gunter Dwyer, then uh, so th- roughly 3300 BC until the hard mark at thirty two hundred BC, where they say cuneiform is established. But if you look at the cuneiform in thirty two hundred BC, it's basically the best you have is the Elamite and the in the Kish stuff, and that's basically pictorial. Um, the uh, the uh, Gunter Dwyer, his method showed that these were actually uh, phonograms, uh, and they were um, they made sounds. So 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 uh, so it didn't happen at the same time, and that was the point of Gunter Dwyer. Whether you accept Gunter Dwyer's no, that's why I said rough. I said I, that's what I'm saying roughly at the same time. We can't be oh, so can't now that we can't so, be exact. But you're saying with the, you're giving it a, a century or two head start is what you're saying, basically. Well, and that's important when people are trading in that area. So that that becomes important because now if I can label, if I can label something an oil right or a trade good, then 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 we have. We, then we have that uh, cognitive uh, borrowing, uh, that 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 cognitive. Uh, bar- we have that portable art, but prior to that, prior to that, around the seven eight thousand seven thousand period, we actually have the dotted wavy line and uh, the uh, uh, the dotted wavy line uh, motifs that were that finds its way that means water. So the dotted the dotted wavy line means water and water and rain. And so we have those pots moving that mean uh, vessels that can that have water and rain. And, and when Africans were able to carry water and rain in bothers, that allowed them to move longer, right? That 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 allowed them to travel further into areas in which they could not travel before because they didn't have to then search for water. If they could bring water, it helped them a lot. Okay. Right, but I'm saying, where do we see evidence of borrowing like numeric system? Um, If they're trading cattle, do we see borrowing in terms of of cattle? Right, because that would have been, these would have been consistent. We we would see the borrowing in the the essentials, right? If if the connections are, if if these type of, um, but that type of sharing is being made, so then you would have evidence of these of, of that type of borrowing. Well, I think you should read Helen Anderson's work, right? I think that you should read that. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say Dr. Helen Anderson. Uh, I think that she makes the. Uh, I think that she makes the case of 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 bringing it back to Africa. That's one of her. 
uh, if I can, um, let me see if I can pull it up. That is actually yeah, one. Drop the link in the drop the link in the back chat, and I'll, I'll, I'll snatch it for for for, for her work. I will. Um, yeah. So I think um, so, but she has a she actually has a title um, refocusing back into Africa. Um, and she's uh, a neuro and she's a neuroscientist. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's that, yeah, that's her work. Um, that's her PhD work. Yeah. I don't know if you want to call them a, a neuroscience. I think that that's a big field. I mean, my son is uh, in a doctoral program for neuroscience. Uh, he's just looking at brain functions. He's not looking at history. So I think that the uh, I think that the field is uh, really wide. Um, hmm. Yeah, but you know, most of the neuroscience is the books of neuroscience. I mean, you know, certain people they they still have the same broad. It's still overlap. Some just um, hunker down in specific areas but their knowledge still extends to the, i mean if you're doing neuroscience their knowledge still extends to that cognitive um yeah but some people just want to apply to history yeah, yeah like 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 hunter gather wasn't slow i mean even like germanic and scandinavian tribes came up with runic on their own like you know what i'm saying they wouldn't people weren't just just sitting there stupid right that's interesting yeah and um reggie the um the neuro uh side the person who um uh, you mentioned the book that you cited, the um, the way you showed your page, your uh, screen, right? Yes. My question is, does she um, does she mention the Sumerians by name? Um. Um. I, I mean, the way that she um um the the what she what she does is basically move move from an African standpoint into other, um, into Asia. So she doesn't necessarily, yeah. Um, okay. So she starts like, she, start, she deals with uh, Middle Stone Age Africa, right? Um, and, and then she moves out of Africa, right? And, and she goes, um, she talks about India, Papua New Guinea, Australia, and the Levant, right? So she okay. talks about all of those particular areas, the Levant, modern Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Turkey, and Palestine, and the uh, the different caves. So she 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 does a presentation of data out of Africa. Okay. And then she does um, uh, then she does uh, Paleolithic Europe and other base places based on caves, right? So. Um, so she's, she, she's a, uh, you, it, I, 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 I wish. You know, what, is it, what is it, What is the name of the book? Yeah. Post it in the, can you post it in the back? Yeah, I'll give it to you right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause a lot, cause even up until what you're talking about, a lot of events even happened during the Neolithic time period. You're talking about all the way to the middle stone age and Mesolithic time. Yeah, I mentioned that. And, and for the record and for the record, um, remember, uh, as far as the phonology of, um, uh, of the uh, Sagangians, um, they uh, when you get by the time you get down to uh, Ornamu, uh, Lugal Ornamu, um, the innovation of the language had moved further beyond um, what we know from the uh, uh, first period of Or and um, that early um, adaptation of uh, pictorial writing that he, that metamorphosized into what we see today in the uh, um, the uh, Cuneiform um, text. 
what I was trying to what I was trying to show earlier um, that I wanted to show up uh, in regards to the one text that I'm that I've come across in reading um, the uh, electronic text corpus of uh, Sumerian literature. Uh, in this text, I think this is the one. Okay. Uh, this in this particular uh, writing. Um, let me see if I can. Right. So, okay. The on the creation of the Sumerian writing in the Sumerian myths uh, in Merkar and the Lord of Arata, um, the scribe identifies him as being the first to imprint words on clay. Uh, in uh, line 500-503, um, you know, point in going through the um, the transliteration, just to put it up there for people who um, that I know that would uh, uh, check it and uh, look closer into it. Uh, the Lord of Kuluba patterned some clay and wrote the message as if on a tablet. Formerly, the writing of messages on clay was not established. The Lord of Kuluba inscribe the message like a tablet. Now, although um, this was written a millennium after the uh, cuneiform writing uh, was first developed, the epic poem praised the glorious past of Uruk, a political movement of the third dynasty of Or to consolidate themselves as the legitimate and spiritual heirs of the ancient rulers of Uruk. Um, I would think, and this this is this is just my me coming me personally. Um, I would think that with the system of writing, and I, I'm not I'm not one who steps out there to say that Sumerian is the first language ever no, written. You're not doing that. You're not right, doing that. that's not what I do, and and because I I've, I've not I have not been uh, immersed in the writing system long enough to even make that declaration. But what I was um, pointing out was that uh, uh, I would think that because of our human beings do when it comes down, especially with the, the um, early Sumerians on keeping records, and that was part and parcel to um, why they were putting together a, a vast library of documentation, I would think that they would have uh, left some type of of, of textual references to a people who existed further down towards, I guess, if you were going to map, depending on which direction, that that gave the people of Oruk um, the ability to write or at least uh, uh, influence their ability to develop the pictorial or proto-Sumerian form. You know, even though that's a murky area in Assyriology, because there's a very little amount of uh, documentation that's uh, satisfactory for um, translation. But I don't. I with can all I ask the, you to date that. Can I ask you to date that um, tablet? Which one? The, um, this one. Yeah, the one with. Sure. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, I'll give. I'll, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, let, me, um, let me do some checking on that. Meanwhile, you can go ahead and while I do it, do a background check on that. No, you're helping them from beating me up, so I, I appreciate <laughs> the, the yeah. breath. Huh? And, and, and too, can I add something too? I, I remember uh, earlier Unc mentioned uh, you know, people be saying uh, uh, the or like how Abraham come from or Chaldees or Ch the Chaldeans are, 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 are 10th and 9th century BC uh, late Iron Age group. They weren't even around 2,000 years ago. 
in the early Mesopotamia. No, that's just the city they say it come from. We know it's an anachronism. Let me find this for Yeah, that city wasn't there during during Abraham's time. We know that. It's an anachronism. Yeah, them people that the child the child do them they're like they they later people that came from like western uh like they came from the levant later on you know what i'm saying the more uh more recent history no i'm just making the point but that is the area that they came from though and no it wasn't a city called child did during that time no it wasn't just like it wasn't camels but I'm, i was just giving a narrative on that Yeah, like I said, I'm gonna look over the um, what she's writing. I'm familiar with some of the argument though in terms of the cognitive revolution. Uh, I've never heard any neuroscience in the field connected like kind of like the way you're doing it in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of an African population uh, influencing. Um, I don't. I, I think I've never heard it done like that. I, I mean, just to simplify it, you have wavy line and dotted wavy line pottery, right? appearing in the Levant, right? You, so you, you have that. You, 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 um, you have the ancient Egyptians using the, the dotted wavy lines uh, in actually in their text themselves to describe uh, water. Um, your, Do you the, see the same thing in, um, Samaria, in that area? Samaria is simply seemingly copying. Do you see it? The same thing for water, the same symbol? Some yeah, you can look at uh, the wavy line pottery inside. Um, a, let, me, let me bring, let, let me say this. So I'm familiar with your work, Reggie. I, 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 I would absolutely say this. What, what, what we gave the world was the cognitive skills because Homo sapiens sapiens walked out of Africa with those cognitive skills. That would allow, we walked out with the genes the Fox B2 gene that allow you to speak language, right? But as for writing, I, I would say that writing just developed independently and that's okay. Uh, Mesoamerica, they had writing that fucking Nile Valley didn't give Mesoamerica they writing. They actually wrote, they had text. So I'll just leave with that statement, man. Any more questions? Well, I will counter that again because- So you saying that Mesoamerica got their writing from Egypt? No, they got it from Africa. They, they, oh man, you uh, see, Reggie, you set yourself Helen up. Anderson. I'm not saying it. Dr. Helen Anderson is saying it. Can you go no, to the I'm specific not, no, part? Reggie, they didn't know. Can Reggie. you go to that specific part where she's saying that? Hey, I'm gonna give you a, a, um, I can't do it. I'm not gonna argue with Reggie tonight. So, sir, I'm gonna give you the control. I'm not gonna argue with my man. Damn, I ain't argue with you, man. Seems, no. She seems to be making a lot of claims that are, yeah, so, I don't want to do it. I don't want to beat Reggie up right now. Yeah, I got to look at your work. Like I said, I, I, he sorry, got mess of it. He got, he got, she's at the British Museum. <laughs> Helen Anderson's at the uh, the I thought she was at the uh. She might have been at the Met for a while, but she's a curator at the um the British Museum. She's a curator. All right, yeah, because like I said, I've read a, um quite a few texts written by different neuro uh, different neuroscientists, um, and they never um they haven't made that 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 type of connection that you're making. They all they all kind of um leave them alone on their own on their own independence of their own um volition. You know what I'm saying in terms of them, in terms of uh. That reason Mesopotamia, even in terms of China, uh, uh, America, because they, they talk about the genesis of writing uh, popping up in a few different locales, 
um, and then and then spreading out because uh, you know, they talk about how you know how different you know, writing is not like an easy um, easy task. That's why you that's why most of it you can draw a parallel. You can see borrowing uh, for it. I think you know you're more trying to interject uh, influence and basically saying the um, that the, that because it came in contact that 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 somehow spark. Um, the development of writing in wavy line and dotted wavy line uh, pottery, those motifs, right, is a huge jump to be able to let, um, create pottery and then to put pot marks on it. That's a huge cognitive jump, and that, and then it's, and then before that, they was doing ostrich eggs, right? So the ostrich eggs, eggs are older. Yeah, and ostrich so eggs is like what? How much? You're like, because you're jumping from like you, you're 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 like you're, you're flying like over. Yeah, because the wavy, flying the wavy line or it's not even the same or that you find in Mali. The wavy line or was produced uh, right. By, I, I, by, I don't. groups. You know what I'm saying? Right, but these are pot marks. These are uh, ostrich egg marks. These are marks. Marks mean things. They're, they're not necessarily writing, but they mean things. And because they're portable art. But you, but you got that all over be, be, before humans came out, came out of Africa as hunter-gatherers. You got what you call proto-writing, you know what I'm saying, all over. Even a lot of lot of different other writers that, that didn't become writing systems came out of proto-writing, period. Where humans are those are pot marks. I, what I'm doing for you is I'm giving you the term that they... Them pot marks ain't the same marks that you find in Samaria, though. They ain't them same line mark that you find in cuneiform. That's something totally different. Okay, you're saying something You're saying something different. So um, pot marks, right, when in, in, in early cuneiform uh, writing is a form of a shard mark on wet clay that becomes fired, right? And in the beginning of it, in Kish and Elamite, they are actually is pictorial, very similar to what is happening in, uh, in, in the Nile Valley. Not Egypt, in the Nile Valley. But you're talking about two, totally two different styles of, of the way they're doing it. I mean, they're not even the same you, style. You can't prove that to me. How can you prove what? What source do you have to say that it's two different styles? Look, you look, we can look it up right now. Come on. What we we see? We, <laughs> it's pictorial. So if it's pictorial, what do you mean? We see barley. I don't have to do this. You don't see no barley. barley. You, don't see no, you don't see no barley on no on no wavy line or that came out of Nile Valley. They wouldn't even deal with no barley. They had sarcom. Okay. Um, they had their own. Uh, Fauna and flora. There's a difference between the fauna and flora, so they describe things differently. I'm not gonna listen. I'm. You can look. Write something. Right. Write something. We could talk all day. Write something. I'm. 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 I'm gonna finish up my writing. We can just look up the experts to see what what's been found and what and what and, and, uh, and put the culture together. Do it. I'm interested. They write, they write some stuff that's played out, bro. No, writing is not played out. Writing is 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 permanent. Your thoughts. You're telling me write something that's to prove a point. I'm just saying we just prove a point by just looking up what the experts saying what's been found already. There's uh, experts disagree. What are you saying? They disagree. Experts agree and disagree. How they how they do it 
is a basically do it in, in writing form, right? So uh, yeah, I, I gave you a source. I'm waiting for your source. Yeah, because I'm source? seeing uh, I'm in I'm in the British Library right now. What's your source? Because they're putting I mean, it I, up. Listen, this is Chuck Morgan's show. I'm gonna mute my goddamn mic. Uh, yes, you can ask the question. You identified that. No, this one... is Chuck Morgan show. We'll come back to you. Okay. You can ask your question. You identified that once they established a basic system, it quickly evolved exponentially. Now, isn't that what happens usually when people discover a technology that it begins very simple? and you see a very rapid sort of exponential development once it takes root. Um, Cedric, I'm gonna, you, I'm you, gonna you, you definitely language. somebody Sinodic. I respect. Sinodic I, I is the language that came out of Africa. They, they, didn't, they came over there, the, the Semitic, Afro-Asiatic branch. Uh, Cedric, um, once, once they started do, using um, uh, marks, first it was rock art and then it was once they started doing portable art, portable art where you could put something in your pocket or on your cattle, on your mule, and then, and then you're trading, innovations spread quickly based on utility. Um, Is that the only way a system becomes refined? No, I don't think it, it becomes refined when you canonize it, when there's a kingship or, or a ruler and they make it, uh, they, they begin to implement it. But, but, but in the course of that, it's when people are simply uh, trading for goods and services, uh, largely for uh, goods in a, in, a, in a time period where some resources were scarce and they made certain jewelry or stones more important than other stones and so um uh, so brother ready as i've been learning linguistics over the last couple of weeks his, when we look it kills me this is where that there's a morphology or there's a connection we want we we're supposed to see loaning of either symbols or concept or style the cuneiform is isolate and not related to anything we see anywhere else. Is that a fact or not? Um, the writing system is isolate because of the language. But in the beginning, it is pictorial. You can pretty much see what they are saying, uh, what they're trying. So you see, Reggie, why, why I they're asked that question? Barley and counting other goods. You're yeah. Seeing, yeah. You're saying the rapid development of a system, and I'm saying if we look at once we discovered silicium and germanium, how the iPhone, how technology became much, much smaller, very, very fast, exponentially. It had to do with understanding or developing a certain piece of technology, and then you see an exponential development of it. Like I'm saying... Yes. That's what happened with the language in its isolated form. You're making the claim that, that that rapid development happened through trade and so on. I'm asking where is the morphology or loaning or link to anything else to establish that claim? Well, I started with the um, portable art. 
right? And I start and I and then I started talking about the wavy line and dotted wavy line pottery. And so that that finds itself directly in the Levant from Africa, right? Both the pottery and the Levant. Then then they create their own factories for their own purposes. Um, and, and so then that's where you get the rapid, it's utility. You, it's useful. You, you can have a vase that you can carry water and water don't leak. Um, I'm going to use that. And, and then I'm going to label it. I may not want to put water in it. I may want to put an oil in it. Right. So cultures is going to cultures is going to uh, do things uh, differently. Why? But the, the fact of the matter is the Genesis culture if I want, if I can call it that, the the beginning cultures happen in a particular place in humans. It's like the arrow, you know. It's like uh, it's it's like the bow and arrow. The arrow that developed in the Americas has a direct link to the Afri uh, to the arrow being developed in the Levant. No. Humans are humaning all yeah. over the planet at the same time. Yeah, because. Um, Early, early humans, early humans are leaving Africa and coming back into Africa and going deeper into Asia. So, uh, look, I gave you a source. Argue with Dr. Helen Anderson. Just argue with her. Yeah, I would be. Yeah, yeah, she's not the authority. But I get. Go ahead, go ahead. Hey, um, yeah, so do you have these arguments? Yeah, do you have access to her as where she could, uh, um. You know, shed some light on her writings because I'm from what I'm what I'm hearing is you're deriving your um, um, theory on it uh, based on um, the presentation that model. she's. Huh? I'm using her. I'm using her model because Reggie's okay. not smart enough uh, to. Uh, I'm not smart enough. I'll be a crazy man. So I'm using Understand. the Understand. curator of the British Museum. To yeah. make my mark, just like I went to the Brooklyn Museum and I got the curator's remarks on the Green Sahara. Reggie's not yeah. smart enough. Reggie's smart enough to go and get his black ass into some goddamn museums and read some dissertations. That's, That's where good. Reggie's smart okay. enough, right? All right. Fair enough. fair enough. So, all right. Yeah. So, fair enough. Um, so, um, based on that, um, I, I would be curious as to. Um, um, to get her take on it um, directly. Um, and I'm interested in um, your presentation on that. Um, but again, for me, you know, I try to keep it as, um, you know, yeah. as, 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 as my, um, you wanted the, one of the best as, Look, as, I'm as not my, with you, boy. I'm not messing with you. Like you, my as, bro you, my brother, we find ourselves over years combating, uh, well, direct, you know, so you look, I'm just giving you my I'm giving you my take. If I had said it myself, the pseudo killers would have laughed my ass off. But um, I, I gave, yeah. Um, my mentor in talk radio was Joe Madison, and he has this catchphrase that I love using. Is it? I like to put it where the ghost can get it. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to simplify it as to uh, right, specifically, let's just pinpoint who are these specific Africans, their nation by name, and the time frame that they made their way into uh, Mesopotamia, that their 
influence was so sub, sub, significant that elements of it is found in um, early Uruk, not even Sumerian, because the Sumerians by this time um, were just um, you know new into the region, just like the Akkadians were. Um, whatever it was, they were able to utilize that. So I'm I'm trying to get down to who these people were, and so that I can pinpoint oh, maybe do my research. Let me go to 193. So she has, she has, um, now sometimes put it like this. These are not people leaving Africa all the time. That's one model. Another model is people coming into Africa and then leaving out with, um, with leaving out with uh, trade goods and innovations. So it's not, it's not the, it's not that Africa, a group of settling Africans went through. They're coming out with trade goods, bring them, they're going back and forth, they're coming in. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and so, some of them are, some of them are going for, like, you know, because some of them might go back into the uh, yeah. region. But if you don't, if, if, if you go back in with goods and, and if, the, if the, you know, that in other words, like there's, there are peoples in between peoples in between peoples. If the people who you're learning against to, if they don't adopt it, then then the people beyond them don't even don't even get it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but if for example, the the goddamn water pot, a nigga got a pot that the water don't leak through, right? The stable that can carry water, and I gotta get my ass for another two hundred miles, and I can take a sip, sip, sip. Ah, uh, yo. I'm a, um, people going to use that. And then, if, and, and then if it's marked, yo, then, then hold, hold, hold up. Wait, you marking it with that, with that mark me. Don't drink that. That's the fucking oil. Drink this. This is the fucking water. Look, look, look at this mark. Yeah. Yo. And then people got shit on closing and, and, and stuff like that. So Reggie, where did the, where did humans develop the wheel? Uh, I think in, I think, Rose, right? in, in Mesopotamia, I think in Mesopotamia, um, and, 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 and the and, wheel and, and, wasn't and, developed, and, and that technology wasn't developed anywhere else on this planet in isolation. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, they're in, in America. Yeah, but I'm not going to say that. But the better case is so now Reggie, oh, carrying oh, carrying water in a pot, Reggie. Was this technology, did it come out of Africa and spread across the world, or was this technology developed in isolation by humans all over the planet? I told you, because we have um, the wavy line pottery inside the Levant, right, with the same motives, then it was carried out of Africa into the Levant. I said that. Reggie, when you're using a hypothesis as if these people could not have developed pottery in isolation, you're going to be now, met now with, with challenges like I'm saying. Okay, so you're so you're, claiming, just, you're, you're just, claiming that they did not develop any technology, anything in isolation, and we still can't find a link to how their cuneiform, which was developed in isolation, has any link to any trading, any borrowing, any morphology from anywhere else. That link hasn't been established, Reggie. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> um, I think it's. I think. I, I think it's. Uh, when I when when I say that wavy line and dotted wavy line pottery leaves Africa, 
I, and that's 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 a fact. And so now, if you if you and, and if you if you can trace the origins of pottery shards, which we can do, right? And then, so the isolation argument goes in the garbage. Okay, but Reggie, when when is when is the late wave line pottery develop? When is when does it leave Africa? When does it leave Africa? Yeah, when they go out with the wave line pottery. Uh, here's the thing. In the, just, in just, the, give, just give me a date real quick. Just give me this. Do you have an artifact of one that was found like outside of Africa? Yeah. Um, the 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 period of I think the wavy line dotted pottery is somewhere between nine thousand eight thousand. Uh, I let's, mean eight uh, eight nine to eight thousand uh, BC, and it's let's in, take eight thousand. Let's just use eight thousand. It's in the whole. It's in the whole Green Sahara. Right. So let's so just it use spreads 8, throughout the whole Green Sahara and the settlements in Green Sahara. Okay. Well, let's say let's just use eight thousand. Okay. Now, eight thousand BC. That's forty five hundred years before. We, we actually get writing. Mm-hmm. Well, look, this you is see the problem. You see the problem with that I'm theory, not, though. Like, I'll come if, back. if the wavy line, looking, if the wavy line, line pottery, if you huh? use, just, just hear me out. If the wave, if you use a wavy line pottery, right, as a, as the uh, as the as the um the the, the nucleus, the, the 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 spark for writing. But, yeah. but the actual writing itself don't begin till 4,500 years after wavy line pottery. You don't find that problematic? Uh, well, the, uh, the, the problem is not me. It's just, human, it's just human evolution. Sometimes what we think is writing, what we don't think is writing is actually, um, I, I use the term pop marks. Did you hear me? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't call it writing. Because they make a distinction between you know art and writing. So, so just because there's an art l- labeling something, that doesn't that's that's a little different from writing. Okay, you know what I'm well, saying? Just like you know what I mean? Just like you have okay. a symbol for writing. Let me just share my symbolizes abstract thought. Yeah, there's a little uh, they, they, they make a distinction between art and art and writing. I, I'm gonna share my screen and then I promise I'm gonna get out of here. Because no, 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 we're, like, we're kicking it. We're kicking it. Because the the wavy line pottery is, is dated back to like the meso, the, like the the early Mesolithic, and the dotted is like late, late uh, dated to the uh, late uh, Mesolithic. Yeah, so yeah, I try to give them the early. I try to bring it closer, writing as the, the close writing as, as we get it. Uh, yeah, that's four thousand plus years. It's hard to make a link. Because if that was a precursor and it jump started, then then you would think that so here's the it would kick off in 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 its, in its in its genesis thousands of years before it even appeared in the Mesopotamia region. Yeah, right here, and, and, and we and we talking about wavy line powder. We talking about Nilo-Saharian migrations, like really, because yeah. that that powder is not even the same. That's not even the same powder that that was found in Mali. That's different, totally different okay. style. Okay, so let's give me. Okay, so let, uh, before I share my screen. I, 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 I'm gonna stop this. No, no, go ahead, Reggie, 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 chill out. We friends, we friends. No, no, we friends. We friends, man. It's love. It's love, man. We kicking it. We can. We no, can. we kicking it. Let's kick it. Show so you, what you, what you want to see? You want to see a source for the Nile Saharian? Uh, no, I want to see what you got on the wavy line and dotted pottery and the migration. No, I'm accepting whatever you present, Reggie. I'm not. I'm using your theory. <laughs> no, I. I no, no, whatever you use, hey Chuck, hey Chuck, I'm gonna sign off, right? No, no, don't sign off. Don't run, Reggie. Don't do that, Reggie. Don't do that, Reggie.
Tuck, tuck. Look, yeah, I, I'm going to show one thing, talking. and I'm going to get out of here. Talking, brother? I'm going to just show one thing, and I'm going to get out of here. You're not going to get out of here. Radiocarbon uh, related to wavy line, wavy line pottery. It comes from, where did I source this author? So you can uh, see, so you can see the, uh, the paper. I don't want to call him Dr. Jesse. Uh, this is, yeah, Jesse E., early ceramics in the Sahara of the Nile Valley, right? Uh, that's the source right here, right? And I'm calling him Dr. Jeffrey, Jesse. Early ceramics in the Sahara and the Nile Valley, 2017, right? What he says, what he says is, and I don't talk for people, I usually quote them, right? Radiocarbon, okay, so here's the map. So this innovation of the wavy line and dotted pottery was something that spread throughout of uh, North, I mean, sorry, North, East and West yeah. Africa, right. right? This is their map. This is not Reggie. Mm -hmm. He says this important thing, in, Af in Africa, pottery was invented sometime in the 10th millennium BP. The invention took place within its own that is now the Southern Sahara and the Sahel, but probably near west of the Hogar Mountains, north, north, northeast of the Nile Valley. On the other hand, pottery was probably developed more than once under various conditions in different areas. The paper deals with the question where pottery might have arisen in the large area of the Southern Sahara by taking a close look. So then um, authors Abbas S. Muhammad Ali and Ankh Ank knows this because this is one of Ankh's sources, right? Mm -hmm. He talks about the hospital sites, uh, two types of, uh, of, of, of the cartoon mesolithic and cartoon Neolithic hospital and um, whatever Shannon in Central Sudan were excavated in the 1950s. So out of out of his out of their work comes the locations of the wavy line pottery and the types that we find throughout Africa in a period that is not in Asia. Right? Um um, and, and, and then, and, and, and then he, you know, he talks about the numerous uh, locations that he saw, which was based on the map that I just actually showed, right? And so this is going on in Africa, and it will leave Africa. And um, maybe at another point, not today, I will give you the sources in Mesopotamia, but I definitely know that it found its way in Europe, right? Um, you, get, you can't give us a date right now. We got time. Let's give us. You ain't got a date for it. Of of the wavy line pot of the date of the of of the movement. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I right now. I I don't have an exact date oh, that yeah. I want to give you right now. But right. I okay. So I do can okay, tell you. Pottery out of Africa. I can tell you that there is a pottery site outside in Europe called the Amalgra Pottery. Right, the Amagra pottery in Andalusia, um, in Spain, it's a it's a isolate culture there, mm -hmm. and then you will find the wavy line pottery uh, there. Um, I will. Um, uh, let's let's stay, stay right there and look at that. Say what? Well, not yeah, stay right there. Let's look at that. What? Hold on. We'll, we'll go. Why are you taking off the screen, really? <laughs> what? Because that's my writing. My fucking writing don't count to y'all. Oh, that oh, that's your paper. Then what do you think? My no, it's my writing based on the sources. Okay, let me put it back. Oh, that up. was your. Oh, that's your. That's your. No, no, that's my paper. Ah. So, so, 
Yes. So what I do is in you my paper, in a little, 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 little ready, uh, when I do my papers, right, I source. So okay, yeah. So this is your writing. This is your no, not this is my writing up until see, I don't write shit without sourcing. So until quite recently, this is from CBF Walker from his work Reading the Past Cuneiform. Until quite recently, the theory presented in most books on Mesopotamian archaeology was that writing was invented in southern Iraq 3000 BC or slightly earlier, perhaps by a Sumerian living in Europe. Whether or not he was Sumerian is uncertain since the very earliest texts of all are purely pictographical and without phonetic indications to show which language it is written. The suggestion that he lived in Europe was based on the fact in the earliest writings for or writing was found there in about 3000 BC, the city had already enjoyed a long history. Today, the picture looks, uh, looks are rather different. Evidence for early stages of writing in the form of tablets inscribed with numbers only, sometimes also bearing seals or impressions have been found not only in Europe, but also in Nivinia, Iraq, at Susa, Chogo, Mish, and Kodin Tepe in Western Iran, and at Tel Barak and Haboro Kabira in Northern Syria. Most of these can be dated to the later fourth millennium BC. Dang. Next, next two tablets from Tel Barker found in 84 depicted goat in a sheet, each accompanied by the number 10. They're quite as primitive as anything from Europe. If anything, they may have been earlier since there is a whole show a whole of the animal, whereas pictures on the earliest tablets from Europe show only the heads of animals in the East. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Um, uh, right, because they're saying that basically they 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 shortened it up as it got more yeah uh, precise so, with their precise with their writing. So then, from the same paper, what I did is I um, I looked through his material and I created a chart of the evolution of the uh, based on his um, these are his titles: numerical tablets, first signs, protocuniform. So we go to protocuniform. We yeah, can go see, to the first that's what I said though. 3,500 when you go up. I said roughly about the same size that he agrees. Go up, go, go down a little bit. But the go general says that it probably appeared at, at the same time as the early late 3,400 BC or slightly. Right. Later. That's the numerical. So, yes. Uh -huh. So that's the same. That's what I said. The same time frame as. Oh, uh, no. See, now that's the problem because Gunter Dwyer puts actual writing. This is numerical tablets. Gunther Dwyer puts writing, actual writing, in 33, roughly 30, 32 to 3300 BC, right? And earlier, that's what Gunther Dwyer does. And in writing, if the, the numeric happens at the 3500, 3, then. Yeah, but that's, that's, new, that's this shit right here. So when you say numerical tablets, I'm gonna show you what we're talking about, right? Past the tokens, we're gonna get to we're gonna get to a tablet. Keep in mind that the, you're making reference to the people of Uruk. Right, right, right. Yeah, not yeah. the Sumerians. Right. So um, so here we have proto-elamatic label. Okay, so here's a kind of a donkey, right? We have a donkey and we have something very, very similar, like the uh, the tablets in Abydos. Yeah, but so that's but that shows that they use, but they're establishing labeling. Even uh -huh. though not, yeah, well, they're not using the va the wave line party, but they have another way of establishing labeling. 
Yeah, I'm just most so people. That's, common, that's, that's, that's a common thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. so then, so then, um, and so the so what, what, I just where, we, where we really want to get to is the Kish tablet, which is, um, which is thirty five hundred, which is really thirty five hundred, which they say is thirty five hundred BC, right? So now we can actually say that this is some type of pictorial writing at this time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's thirty five hundred BC. Right. So now yeah, and, and, I don't I don't get the connection. He's confusing. Got a quick got a question, Reggie. Yeah. Now that's up in the um the period uh, the the uh, location of Kish. Because um the various city states have been uh, usually largely unorganized and had independent rulers and systems set up. Um do you have any um any documentation on the the uh, you know, by the time, uh, well, let me just put it this way: down in Or um, and uh, Or, um, Eridu, uh, Lagash, um, where they had already established that uh, writing system and really taking off. Um, do you find any in documentation that uh, that you know mentions the travels of this down into the the southern parts of of uh, yeah, I think um, that paper. So here's the paper. Um, so um, I think this would, uh, I, um, I think that this paper would describe it. I was only using this as comparative because I am going to compare this. I'm going to compare this gibberish to what was happening in the in the Nile Valley. So, uh, so um, I'm probably not going to, uh, this was my resource page. I'm, I'm debating whether I need to even say it or not or do it in another paper. But let me get to the paper so that you will. Uh, okay. So here is it. I will put it in the back chat, these two sources. Okay. So I think, uh, um, I think that would be very helpful to you um uh let me just see where's the chat yeah here it goes okay so here it goes to everyone there you go all right those are my sources hold on oh is that yeah did it come up or yeah it... I, I, I took a snap of it yeah wait, wait. i'll check that um i'll check that source yeah. and um you know yeah, so those there. are one is in 1987 the other one is 2019 the historical okay. internet technology, cognitive and environment beyond the mimic development, structural and cultural evolution, right? Uh, and you could, uh, you could, you can, uh, you can take a look at, you can take a look at. That. I appreciate that. Now, the, okay. so that's my uh, soliloquy because what I, what I am working on is, what I'm working on is saying, okay, that's what's happening in Mesopotamia. Right, and what is happening? And you, and when you say Mesopotamia, you gotta because you know I mean, Mesopotamia yeah, is a huge, yeah. huge place, and there are multiple, multiple city states that have their own system established. So I think I think we're pinpointed to a specific location so that it doesn't get um, yeah confused with just okay. over exaggeration of of, uh, of generals. You 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 uh, listen. I'm 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 just teasing your area. Um, I know what I'm dealing with. I'm not messing with Mr. Chuck Morgan, boy. I see your work. I see how you bust people's ass. So I'm just threading lightly. Um, 
uh, I'm threading lightly because you my you 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 a resource of mine and a friend of mine. So I'm gonna stop sharing. Oh, absolutely, right. I appreciate you, brother. Me and you, we I not do. gonna we never ever gonna debate in public. No. We just gonna no, chit chat. No. All right. 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 I would like to be part of that chit chat. I'm using my mic for learning purposes, Reggie. Just for learning purposes. I love to be. I love to be in an arena where these discussions are happening because it sharpens us intellectually. So I appreciate it. Don't think we don't appreciate it, Reggie. I really do because it forces us to think, and it's challenging our position and what we believe or understand. And that's that's a worthy process. So don't ever think. No, Cedric, you my man. It's just I got to be guarded for the rants. The last time I was on, I was like, Corey is my man. But Corey went, he went off. Yeah, yeah. Listen, on the pseudo killers, we know that every so often we just give the mic to Corey and Corey does his Corey rap. But what we got to always take out of what everyone here is saying, we got to learn to eat the meat off the bones and spit the bones the hell out. So mm-hmm. a lot of what Corey is saying is factually right. Sometimes he hits that raw nerve just to make you think about it. Chef does it too. And it's desensitizing us in this community and proving the point that there's no sacred cows. But And, 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 and you have to be completely unbiased to accept when Corey says, get the fuck out of here without bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, Reggie, you know, and Andy knows protocol. Like, you got to get, you know what I mean? Like, when, you, when you, know, I, you know how it is, when, when it's information, like, you know, we, we ain't friends. When it's information, you know what I'm saying? When You know what I mean? Then when it's You're all over, right. then when it's all over, it's love. But, but when we're in the middle of challenging, our, you know what I mean? Different things, like, you know how it is, like, uh, you know what I mean? We just going in, like. The French, you know what I mean? Yeah, like basketball game is in play, man. Like you know, we it's gonna be hard time. I have African scholars. I have African scholars, and and um, they're working through one of them, and they are terribly upset. And you have uh, you have professors like Dr. Salua, right? Dr. Nasiri. These are these are colleagues, uh, uh, people who've. Uh, worked in the Diop school and the Abenga school and the Musa Lamb school. And this is making its way. And they're saying, God damn it. In Africa, we have problems of, uh, of people in Africa who think they, that they were always born there, that they evolved, that God, they're tribalists, right? And they're against Pan-Africanists. And they're saying, damn, now we have a sense of what's happening in the U.S., like they're fighting Africans who um, these are not Islamic Africans. These are just African Africans. And they're basically like F the Nile Valley. We never had no contact with them. We we was born here. We're going to die here. And and they're isolated and they don't get and they don't read. They don't study, but they got a lot of shit to say. Right. And this is in West Africa and Central Africa. And they're battling those people. And then they come over here and they see this show and they're like, wait, okay, where are the professors? Any professors there? Okay, no professors. Okay, the enthusiasts. Let me just check to see what they read. 
have they read African scholars? Have they read Musa Lamb? Right? I didn't hear Musa Lamb's uh, name. I know that they know Abanga, but did they read all of Abanga's works? It's in French. No, they, they speak English. They don't. Okay, so they... Well, that's they, unfair, Reggie, because, you know, we're in, the, we're in the West. Like, I'm sure that a lot of people we read that just haven't even read. Well, it's not, but but it's unfair. The things that we say to them are unfair because we haven't read their work. These are African people on the continent who come, who have multiple languages, customs, right? And yeah, I mean, these, I get it in terms of linguistic, but science is science already. Like, yeah, but they don't have the science. Now you sounding like Osar now. <laughs> I don't sound like no no Osar. No, I saw it believes that, that ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt Kemet is, is Sumerian. It's, it comes from the same word as Kaduro. These people in California have never been to the beach. They don't mean that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that? What was that? Oh, you never seen that? No, no. I, I wanted you to say what you just says said. Kemet and the word Kiduro in Assyrian has, is, is a cognate of each other. Yes, it is because the E is interchangeable with the Y and the K can be replaced by the M. Why? Because I just say so. <laughs> right. And so let me see if I can pull this. Let me pull this. I'm up for 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 um Cedric. I mean, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm what, gonna. I'm, what 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 languages came up with that? I'm gonna um no. You see, I, I I study computer science, and that's language. Mm -hmm. So I know that you can replace a O with a one, and if you do it enough times you will get the same cognitive changes that we see in linguistics. So that's why I'm telling you, you, you see, you guys don't study this stuff. That's why you, you, you sound ignorant. The yeah, cognitive changes are constant. You get the M turning into the K, you get the R becoming a T, and that's how I know this stuff. You, uh, what, what, do you study computer? Do, do you study computer science? You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm going to pull up the I'm going to pull up the videos. Yeah, where, um, where, I know. Where I think I know what you're talking about. Is, right. Yeah, that um, that term Kiduru, uh, yeah, that goes back to the um, early um, Lagash period. And it simply means, um, you know, something that's wet or damp. Right. But and it the also key, of course, is a poem where a Kevin woman, it's a poem. Nile is wet. Hold on, let her get it in. Because I want to hear the breakdown. Okay, so let me let me get this up for you. Um, first I'm gonna stop sharing my screen, and then I'm gonna share it. So give me. Uh, uh, let me let me stop sharing. Uh, I'm not sharing my screen. So let me go and find out where he says it. Give me a second. You're gonna enjoy this shit. Yeah, I mean, like uh, like I said, I, the linguistic stuff. You know, I, I I'm letting that just come in slowly. But I love that. I love that neuroscience stuff. I was just like, you know, just it's a bad idea, you know, in concept. We talk about people are moving out of Africa and we kind of label them as we say, you know, the Africans, they spread out. But you got to understand, like when they're going out, they ain't no, that's, they're the only people. 
So it's it's just humans. Like ain't no <laughs> ain't nobody else. When it goes in, like the people that's going yeah, out. You know nah, what's funny? Gotta make a point, Seth. You gotta I think I'll try. Go ahead, go. I would say I would say now I think what he's getting confused is by you have you know you had the migration that they went out like seventy thousand, you know, seven thousand years ago. Then you had another migration with the Afro-Asiatic speakers that, that went out into the uh, your body and all that, you know what I'm saying, around the Neolithic period. I think he getting confused around the two different migrations. Exactly. And uh, when Reggie is making the point about the African scholars, the PhDs, if we read the work that they got a PhD in, which meant that it, it was peer-reviewed, accepted, challenged and, and, and critiqued and they got their PhD doesn't compare to just them having a hypothesis and because they have a PhD makes that work valid. When we're doing the work we're doing, again, over here, we can simply move from a consensus position. Yes, he has a PhD. He is in a position to challenge whatever the consensus is. But until that consensus has been established, I don't really, I'm not concerned where the particular scholar came from, because regardless if he's from the continent or not, he will still have to apply the rules that apply to linguistics, as does everybody else. So where he comes from, from the time he says PhD, it shouldn't be relevant. Yeah, it don't matter. Just like just like I said, I said it's people. It's people from California that never been to the beach. It's people from New York that never been to the Empire State Building. That, that don't mean nothing. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so let me. Uh, I think I have it. I think I have part of it. So let me just put it on the screen. And uh, Sada Wujawa with the uh, Saber uh, Saber University app. You got a little app for the um, app launch. Right? Yeah. yeah Shout out to Wujao. Shout out to Asa. You have uh, some uh, a, a special interview tonight. After the show, I'm gonna go look at it and see what they're talking about. See if it's uh, any uh, type of uh, alien worship going on tonight in yeah. his interview. Shout yeah. out to Asa. Okay. Yeah, right. So, if, uh, so if y'all haven't uh, checked Wujao's channel, I'm sure he do got the app. So, um. Definitely, man. Go download the app, man. Support the brother so we can get some, uh, you know, so we can get app support uh, on the Google Play and stuff, man. So uh, we definitely gonna support the brother. No, I don't want no, I don't, I don't want no virus on my phone. I'm good. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Okay. Can, I, go ahead, can I play a little of this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, start right. Let me share my screen. This is what he did in the Diop conference, right? Uh, I'll put my face on uh, in a shared screen. So, uh, okay. So, uh, share screen. Now, now this is this is this is this is how they get down, right? Can you see? Uh, can you see the screen? Yes, sir. All right. Let's listen. Uh, yeah. A he made, he made up a quote too on her too with uh, with, with, with uh, Greenberg. He had lied about a quote on her. All right. So here we go. Okay, well, let me so just move back. Can so you turn it up a little bit? Turn your volume all the way up, Ray. Just like in the uh, Banish language. So if I say move, move into, I'll let you know that's the singular person. The move is a classifier. If I say ba into, that's the plural. 
classify, let you know that the Hindu belongs to the human class. You know, so that makes sense. So in the same logic, that's how the ancient Egyptian uh, script is used. So this is from a text here to let you know that the N20, uh, this N23 canal is actually a Middle Kingdom uh, innovation. It, these signs right here, the N20 and N22, these are what they call tongues of land. So just stretches of land. So that, that was the original determinatives, and then they simplified it and made this. So it's letting you know this irrigated land. <clears throat> you also, there's also a misnomer that Kemet is terminated by a quote unquote feminine T. It is not a feminine T. Uh, it's a T. Well, you hear it. And we don't have vowels. So they just assume anything terminated with a T is a so called feminine T. What I argue is that it is actually another classifier but built into the language, not in that's, uh, strictly the script. It lets you know that it is a place, a land, T. And so most uh, words in the most names for places in the uh, ancient Egyptian language will have, they'll be terminated by T or it'll be terminated by W. Are classifiers for land. Yeah, let you know this much space. better. Much better. Uh, That's so better. Oh man. Place, storehouse again. The Temple Pavilion Festival Place. <clears throat> I do comparisons uh, with the Sumerian language, and I can tell you that Sumerian ah! is related to Bantu. Is wait, wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on. So hold on, hold on. Watch this. That T Temple Pavilion Festival Place. <clears throat> I do comparisons uh, with the Sumerian language, and I can tell you that Sumerian is related to Bantu, is related to ancient Egyptian. And so Sumerian is what? gonna help us out today. So that that T Wait one more time, one more time. One more Sumerian. time. He just said it like it's established. Or it'll be terminated by W. And both of these are classifiers for land that let you know there's a space. Um, so a storehouse place, storehouse again, the temple, pavilion, festival place. <clears throat> I do comparisons uh, with the Sumerian language, and I can tell you that Sumerian is related to Bantu, is related to ancient Egyptian. And so Sumerian is going to help us out today. So that, that T suffix <laughs> corresponds to Sumerian key prefix. No, it's no, the same chi prefix that you'll find in Bantu. So if you hear... Asante uh, say Chikam uh, for Kemet because that Chi is a prefix for place and so it's the same thing in Sumerian and so you can see just That's a few examples here and there's a the, the prefixes and suffixes for place also double as the abstract and so that's another uh, topic into itself what I argue is that the, con the cognate for uh, Kemet in the Sumerian language is Kiduru, which means damp ground, irrigable land. And the way that we can demonstrate <laughs> this is by doing a linguistic analysis. So what we do is we, we establish sound laws. We match consonant for consonant in each language. So in the Sumerian language, in the first consonant column, you see that it corresponds to K in Egyptian. So I put the correspondences laws 
You know, of course. Can you stop it second group? Can you stop it for real quick? Can you stop that for real fast? Hey, Chuck, no. I'm seeing that too, right, with the black leather? Yeah. I mean, where is it? You just taught me that one. Hold up. We have, okay, I'll use the word for black leather in uh, what they have, uh, key, whatever. This key right here. Yeah. And we have, a, we have a term in Sumerian for black leather. In fact, we have it in Babylonian for black leather. And it's a determinative, which is kush. Kush. So in it's the real front. clear. It, in Sumerian, they have the determinative and the word that's specifically used to denote leather. Right. So if, if you're going to use that for that, I mean, it wouldn't be dun. I'm, I'm sorry. It wouldn't be um, dalu. Uh, dalu. So he, made a, he made a claim, ran with it as if it is established fact and now is going to do comparative work where he cannot establish a genetic or a morphological link between Bantu and the isolate Sumerian. And Hold now on. he's running off on this claim. Hold on. Chuck, you just start me. Because, like, cause, hey, look, Chuck, when you said stop, because I remember, I'm like, yo, you just taught me that. I just I looked at you do talking about. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, I mean, man, I'm why, would you use, why would you use that? And then there's a word for black because that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, that's weird. Yeah. Because if, 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 if black if black leather is already established here, then the uh, correspondence being Sumerian, then there will be a word gig, which would would be a black will be in, in reference to black or a gigi dalu. Right. And then and then the correspondence don't even look alike. Like usually when you see correspondence away comparisons, the, the words all look similar, different same sounds and all that. They don't even have the same sounds. He he went from he jumped from Dalu to Kim. Like how much shit is that? <laughs> Duru, Kiduru, wetland. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, because but and the key thing is too, he, he in Chicam he got black leather, and in Sumerian Sumerian he got leather object. Mm. Like wouldn't you not account for the black? Mm. The black leather and then find a black leather with the black leather. All leather object with leather object, right? How do I get out of here? (laughs) All right, so let's 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 finish this, right? The second consonant in Sumerian, either N, L, or R, these sounds interchange within Sumerian. So they're virtually these are dialectical, but they're virtually the same. And I have a paper and it I give a course. Yeah, sure. He has a paper. He has a course. He has a fourth. He has a paper. Yeah, of course, of course. Right. Yeah, Dozens of course. Of examples to establish the fact. But you see that it corresponds to the M in um, Egyptian. And so this is how we, we've set it. We set it up. We know that it's regular and that they correspond. So we know there's a relationship between the two languages. <laughs> and so I argue that the Kim and Kemet is really. You do realize that he, did, he said that Kiduru was diseased, right? Yes. Yeah, he said Kiduru. You did catch that. Early on, if you look at the slide come prior, back. he mentions that Kiduru being a disease. Okay, let's go back. Kiduru is a disease, but it yeah, represents you didn't catch that? Wet go, go before that. Right there, right a disease. Kiduru. Right there. Ah, then you got the eyes. <laughs> is it disease? Is it a disease uh, land that's wet? I, I'm, well, I'm baffled by that one. Okay, so Kiduru, so, a disease. So how is Kiduru? Oh, huh? If Kiduru is a disease, which makes sense because it's just a one word, disease. 
how does that equate to wet, wet, arid exactly. land? Well, I'm gonna give exactly. you after this. I'm gonna give you um, when I was de- de- debating him. Each I'm gonna give you something. So, in the Sumerian language, yeah, in the first the consonant column, you see that it corresponds to K in Egyptian. So, I put the correspondences laws, you know, over here on the far end, and where you see like the the second consonant in Sumerian, either N, L, or R, these sounds interchange within Sumerian. So they're Virtually, but they're virtually the same. I have a paper and it. I give, of course, okay. dozens right, of right. more examples <laughs> to establish the fact. But you he see, gives that a course. it corresponds to the M in um, <laughs> Egyptian, and so this is how we we reset it. We set it up. We know that it's regular and that they correspond. So we know that there's a relationship between the two languages. <clears throat> and so I argue that the Kim and Kemet is really to be interpreted in the same way that Sumerian is, is a wet, irrigated, damp, fresh. And then Kim you know how many words there for the wet suffix, in Sumerian? Becomes, you know, saying the place a damp ground. I'm listening. There's several terms that's used in Sumerian. There's a whole list. I know where he's getting this from. And like I was saying earlier, I, um, if you go back and check the time frame where this is documented as to where these terms were used, you can put it in a particular location and time frame. So then that brings in the question of um, how did um, this, uh, uh, whatever, I don't know, who is he saying that was in uh, Sumer that brought in, that, this is where I'm not getting the whole picture. Wait, sorry. Um, if, well, no, uh, he's, if, uh, he's the expert. So so you just have to you you just definitely sorry you you you're not familiar with what 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 happens here you have to just agree with him no, right uh you just have to you just have to agree with him but but so let's hear him out let's hear him out right he, he he's he's worthy to hear out right so i see here clearly kiduru k i d u r y means damp ground air, air, air irritable or uh, arable Land. Okay. The word, so now, the word, yeah, yeah. The word "duru" is for wet. That's what that is. Key is a determinative that's used to determine uh, land, region, uh, planet, whatever. So that okay. determinative there, key, is what is usually used um, to to. That's just one of the terms that's used for land. That's not the only one because there are several. Okay. So let's just finish. An irrigable land. It makes sense, especially when you know that there's other chems in the language. So there's a chemu seeds or fruit from the chem plant, and then chemit grain or plant, um, because it has to deal with uh, agricultural space. And not um, <clears throat> doing the same method, I can go into Chiluba, we'll see that the K's correspond, and then the ND and the M's correspond between the languages. So when you say Kanda in Bantu, you're saying cognates with Kemet. And so to, to Kemet the country in Chiluba would be Chi and Kanda. <clears throat> what I've shown in my paper is that there's Kemet all across Africa. And none of them have to do with the color of the people's skin or the color of the land. It has to correspond with a type of land or water. And so this is just a, a small example of all the condas 
that you will find like in Central and West Africa. It is one of those representative words Sorry. that are cognate for Kemet. But you'll find comma and even the word Congo itself is cognate with Kemet. So when you say Uganda, Uganda is a Bantu variant of saying the word Kemet. It's also, you know, one of my tests is that if it's going to be representative for land, it'll also be, I'll also find examples for water and rivers. And that's exactly what you find here <coughs> is uh, Kanda, Okanda, Kanda, all streams and, and rivers in Africa. And so you're seeing that the languages are matching the determinatives that we saw in, uh, in the actual hieroglyphs in terms of uh, uh, irrigated land and water channels. And so, the Herero language for their word O and God. Okay, I'll stop right there. I think has the best. So I'll stop right there. Okay, so let me just stop sharing my screen for a second. Okay, so, uh, what do you think? Um, see, when we when when we was listening to this, we had no one, uh, Chuck, that knew anything about the Sumerian language. No one, right? So all you can just do is uh, kind of like accept it. But what he did was he did the he actually did the Afroasiatic, you know, Chris, uh, Christopher Eric, uh, you know, uh, so he found he finds a cognate in Sumerian, a cognate in Egypt. And he makes it uh, he makes it. Uh, how can I say that he, he makes it uh, a cognates? Uh, Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and and so he and Christopher Eric he uses that to prove his Afro-Asiatic uh, 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 a point, right? Right, right. Okay. And I saw just Kadiro, and uh, you see, huh? Yeah. Hello. Can I share my screen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Let me go to this. Right. Okay, let me start here. Um, how do I get y'all off the screen? <laughs> how do we get us way? off? That host has to get you off. The host okay. has to do that. Oh. oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know how to do it. I know how to do it. All right, there you go. So, um, an example of cherry picking. Okay, can you hear me? All right, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we okay. can hear you loud and clear. We can see the screen. All yeah. right. No, because I'm seeing something on my screen that says your default microphone has changed. Okay. All right, okay. All right thank you. All right. Um, boy. All right, so I have been seeing this thing because um some stuff that I saw on Facebook some time back. Okay, so I see uh, where we got Egyptian, Remit, Man, uh, Coptic. Rome man, uh, Chiluba, Luba man, uh, Mulum, whatever. And then we get down to this word uh, that's supposed to be Sumerian. You have uh, Urum, male, right? All right. Now I put the in red the consonants here, okay? So I'm basing it on what I put it in red. So this is coming from uh, this person's chart. Um, okay, so the word Harold uses <clears throat> or chose. Urum, aside from being one of several words for male or man, uh, this word becomes problematic because it's from the Neo-Assyrian period. 
in the province of Nineveh, referred to as a youthful male, and it's not Samaria. In fact, it literally tells you uh, that it's from the new, if you could, this is where it's coming from. This is from the Electronic Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary. Okay? And, and what does it show you? One time, Neo-Assyrian, written Utu Rum. And because that cuneiform sign has another cuneiform sign within it, in these Deary compounds, it becomes Sagshin. Okay? This is Neo-Assyrian. This is not Sumerian. So maybe that maybe that term is cognate with um, uh, something from a, a, um, uh, in Neo Assyria, but this is not Sumerian. Okay, so there are other words in the Sumerian language for male. Here we have them right here. So you have okay, so you got Lu, which is the um, most used term that's that's in uh, Sumerian literature for human being and male, uh, which is Lu, and you have Nita. Which is a male, Bu'ud, Bu'ud Bar, which is an impure male, and Nurush, uh, uh, which is a young male. So, um, my point in, in putting that little piece in was that this term that's used here for male, this is just not Sumerian. I think that because it's in that dictionary that based on that name of the dictionary that every word is Sumerian and it's not in fact the the uh, cure, the people who put that thing together and the years that it took to put it together they, I, they they make it clear to you because it's in Mesopotamian literature it's necessary to address and therefore they give you the time male as neo-assyrian Mr. Hotep concocts a chart claiming a two-consonant paradigm between Proto-Bantu, Sumerian, and Kuntikam, uh, Egyptian. Uh, what I found uh, with the use of cognates is nothing more than mass comparative linguistics and not the historical comparative method. Once you've fact-checked the Sumerian words, often they're not even Sumerian or they're from later periods after the Akkadian and or Gutian rule attested to the Renaissance period of Lagash. So um, I just did this in my own time, just, you know, going over stuff because I had time. First, he chooses the word uh, shar, uh, clothed designation, which he says is cognate with a proto-Bantu word. Uh, I can't pronounce that. Okay. Now, like Urum, like Urum, the two demonstrate a poor working knowledge of the Sumerian language. Shar attested in the second dynastic period of Lagash, there's the date, uh, which was after the Akkadian rule of Sumer. This period started under Lugal Ushmugal, that being the case, uh, rhetorically, um, where the ruling class of the Neo Assyrian period, Africans, because these words are coming out of the Neo-Assyrian, Neo-Sumerian period. So I'm, I, please help me. I want to know, I, I'm trying to process this thing on how are they trying to say that these African words supposedly 
are found in the Sumerian language, are they saying that the ancient Sumerians were, were Africans or that the ancient Africans occupied Sumer at the Renaissance period? Because this is, you don't, we don't find attestations of these terms prior to the Renaissance period. Okay, so um, let me show you something here. Okay, so uh, uh, Ha, um, early dynastic 3A, which was before the use of Shar. That being the case, it's clear that this word Shar was used, designation of cloth, as opposed to the word for cloth, garment, from an earlier period of Sumer. This is a false cognate. Um, then there's Shu, yet another word he snagged from the online Sumerian Dictionary, the Electronic Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary. There's their logo. Uh, the, the EPSD2 is an updated follow-up to the EPSD website by the same team of Assyriologists from the University of Pennsylvania under the direction of Steve Tenney and Philip Jones. Now, Shu has been updated and is currently has an unknown origin and thought to be attested to the early dynastic 3B period of Nirsut. There was no textual reference nor any other information, possibly because it was um, misinterpreted. Um, and the updated website has removed the word altogether with no more information and a wider variety of words for basket based on discoveries. And the earliest use of the word for basket can be traced to the early dynastic 3B, 3B period and or three periods where the word ba'andu, seeding basket of a plow, which you see that uh, sometimes people have that image of uh, the guy with the wings holding like a cone and he got a little basket, like a little pocketbook. Yeah, that's, that's where they're getting that from. And so um, he says that, oh, well, he may not have known about that. I don't know. I don't know where he's getting his Sumerian sources from because I tried to check as many of these words as I could and I'm finding a whole bunch of stuff that just didn't seem to pan out historically. Next is the use of the Sumerian determinative uh, tun used to classify any number of textile garments. Okay? So you got uh, uh, gadala because this um, determinative is not pronounced. So you got Gadala, meaning a fabric. Um, okay, it's not pronounced. Uh, uh, and it's used in literature to the, to the following word is identifying a fabric. So the earliest gestation and uses of this word for fabric, bardul, can be found in a text from the archaic period of Sumer and the ED3A period of 2600, 2500 BC. So, uh, and uh, this is like I said, I'm talking to myself that I actually talked where in, in were the Sumerians of this period were the Africans because the uh, largest corpus of Sumerian words sprung up during the post Akkadian and Gutian periods. Next, we got the use of the Proto Bantu uh, Tangu, meaning house, ground. Uh, then you got Sig, which is place, Zig, town center. Now, to be clear, this there are 50 different words in Sumerian for a place. In this case, it's the verb sig, which is the ninth one, sig, 
and it's used as a meaning to place something, to put it in a particular location or, or a, a locale and not as a town center, which is Zig, which they have here at Zig. Now, nowhere in the description of Zig is there mentioning of a town or a center. Uh, it would be deception or ignorance or of the Sumerian language to equate Sig, a verb, to a place with key, land, ground, or place. Uh, and this is even found in the EPSD website where this stuff is coming from. Because if you look at Sig, you see place, right? Huh? Now look, listen, Old Akkadian, Lagash, this is where the words um, moved on. Early in old Babylonian. And look at this, written, Sig 9, Sig 10, Sig, to place, to place something somewhere. The definition can also be found in the Akkadian, uh, Shakanu, to place in, to set in place, to erect, to place, to put, to install. Why he chose a word that clearly does not mean a place as in like uh, the other word for place and it's meaning like, hey, I'm going to put this over here. I'm going to put this over there. I don't know. So in the chart, he equated sig with zig as if they shared the same definition. And they don't. Zig is an entirely separate word. Uh, words like key and zig would share the same definition, meaning a place, a town. However, sig and nar share the same definition to place, to put in a position, to lay upon, to place on, put on, to encrust, mount. Refer to the electronic Pennsylvania Sumerian Dictionary 2. Clearly something is wrong with that. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I got a I got a whole thing on this stuff and like I you know I put it up no, here. Oh no. You don't know the difference between a verb and an adjective. Come on. That's that's oh man. Place and to place. A uh, 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 area versus an action. And that's the no, 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 come, no, no, no. Oh, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you what I did in ASCAT. Right? Uh, come on, we can't spend last, but uh, it's, it's getting. No, late. I don't want to. No, no, so did you just? I gotta show you this one thing I did in ASCAT. Come on, so, come on, Reggie. So, so no, I, 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 look, I just got. How long I, is it? How long is it? Oh, you sound like uh, now. It's real quick. So in ASCAT, so in ASCAT, I took them on with Kaduro, right? So I had my little 15, 20 minutes in ASCAC, right? So I did what Chuck did, right? I go to Lagash, right? Because he wants to use Kaduro in Lagash, right? So, uh, so I, I, I do it out and I say what it means. Uh, I don't know what, what is it. What it means in Lagash, right? Okay. Okay, so it's dampness and damp ground, right? So then I go and get a, a text. I go, I actually go get a text where the shit is used. And I did this in front of African people, right? So here's Kaduro on the bottom, right? And this is the stuff that I just pretty much showed, Kaduro. And so I go and get a text. And here's the text. He says, Kaduro's a cognitive kimmet. Well, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you what the cognitive is. 
here's the here's the poem where it derives from. Do not dig a canal. Let me be your canal. Do not plow field. Let me be your field. Farmer, do not search for a wet place. That's the vagina. My precious sweet, let this be your wet place. Right? The anus. So Kaduro is basically plowing the fields. <laughs> so in this text, this goddess offers the man uh, the vagina. And then he, he says, no, no, no. He'll take this one and plow it. So it says over here. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Rebuto names uh, damp ground, interbu land, wet spots. Also agree in the front of land that has been conveniently unindated before plowing can take place. In the specific context of Ian, Ian Nana, right? Already know the function expression of the vagina. A common, <laughs> common point, there's a matter of fact, particularly in both in Nana H and me in, in 602, insisting the notion of humidity, which seems to hint at welcoming genitals and sexual fluids. Besides the fact that Kadur allows to lose to a field ready to be plowed, reinforces the semantic. Uh, association between plowing the field and having sexual intercourse that has been so far. But but she offers, he offers, do not dig a canal, this Kaduro over here, right? Do not dig a plow field, let me be your field. Farmer, do not search for a wet place. My precious sweet, let this be your wet place. There you go. So that's your Kaduro and your Kemet. So thank you very much for uh, your time. I just had to clown. I just so he's using the word in Lagash. He's calling this Sumerian, right? And and uh and and that word is a cognate of Kemet. So pussy is a cognate of Kaduro. Oh my god. And Reggie, um, you know, speaking Papiamento, which is a dialect from uh West uh, Africa, Ghana, which was brought in because of the, the Portuguese, Duru. Means hard. Kiduru means hard thing. So <laughs> a wet, a wet pussy and a hard thing. I think they're cognizant. <laughs> they're cognizant. That's that's that, line them up. You know it's regular. You know the style card space match. You know. <laughs> you know I have a, I have a forthcoming etcetera. Oh, well, forthcoming paper on it. But listen, but listen, let's let everybody close out, man. We've been rocking for a while. Yeah, I got to go. I want to thank everybody for coming through. Chuck, you want to close out for us? I appreciate it. Reggie, I appreciate you. I really I really enjoyed it. I mean, I really, I really like how y'all, um, you know, do things. It's, it's pretty good. I, I hope to come back again and, uh, you know, kick it with y'all on, on different topics. Or even this topic itself. It's really good. I enjoyed yeah. it. What's up, man? I learned a lot myself. In front. It's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure learning from you, Chuck. Uh, Brother, you know, I'm just trying to share my little bit of research, man. Appreciate you know. I really appreciate it. a little bit. Thank hey, you, brother. Fuck you, really my main it. man. Yo, that shirt that you got is fire, yo. In the solo community, boy, you can make a million on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yo, get that yeah, shit I, I, out. I, huh? Yeah, yeah, my, yeah I, you know, I, I kind of do little things around here. I got my cool disco dance shirt. You know, my, my brother from D.C. You know, I do a little, little T-shirt thing, too. You know. Like a, just do it. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Morpheus. I didn't call him on the show because I ain't know I, I ain't know. So he gonna have to reach reach the replays, but I'm sure he's gonna give you greetings after he watched this. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me call talk to Morpheus. Tell Morpheus to call me because we need to talk about some stuff because uh, I got some new some, some he been sending me a lot of good stuff and I'm gonna talk to him about that. So if he can hear because I can't text him right now, just um you know give me a call when you can. Damn, all right. All right. I don't thank have nothing to say. Peace. Yeah, thank everybody. Thank you for coming out, man. Uh, catch us. I think Bobby Bangham might go. Uh, might do something Sunday. So, man, peace and good night. Solid.
Man. I guess brothers, I guess the pseudo killers fell asleep. Why the YouTube still going? That's cold-blooded chef for now. He's still out, homie. But anyway, let me look at the chat. The controls is definitely pseudo right now. Whoever, yeah. <laughs> the controls is definitely pseudo. Donnie Williams. Mike Coyo. What up, homie? It says genetically, you guys are similar, similar, but overall, y'all do not function the same. I wonder what the end of the conversation, where the end of the conversation went last night. Nubian priest, uh, you know they got no, know they got into Egypt a little bit, <laughs> Pan African. Asar is out of control. Mm. Out of control. Yeah. Chef and got the controls. I'm not the host. The brother Sheffron is the host. So, let me see something here. We might continue on with the show for a minute. Give me a second. Let's look at something. Oh, yeah. What are you doing on Facebook? He wanted me to log in on Facebook. Um. Well, I got a um audible suggested me um a course, a great course is course. It's called Evidence for Modern Physics. Uh how we know what we know. <laughs> 